Welcome to Mott 10 Sports in this July 13th, 2023 episode. Glad you could join us. We have a big one. Fired up. We got two great guests. I am just jacked about. But first, we're in the midst of the, we're in the midst of those summer months. College football is just around the corner. You're probably online like me, and you've read your Lindy magazine, you've read your Athlons. I got my Phil Still magazine, ordered it digitally this year. It just doesn't feel right. Next year, I'm probably going to go more hard copy, have the hard copy in. Um, but it's more of a tradition, right? The preseason magazines, it gets me ready. Within the past month, been reading around, so I hope everybody's doing the same. You're getting ready to watch some replays, old replays. The SEC Network does a good job with the SEC takeovers. Just wish a little bit uh, they would go over some older games. I put it, if you follow me on Twitter, I put it on Twitter the other day that you wish they had some, I don't know, uh, 2003 SEC championship, 2007 SEC championship, Tennessee versus LSU, stuff like that. Older games, not just from last year. That, that, that's the stuff that I don't really get real jacked about. And I think some fans sometimes just kind of, uh, I don't know. I just think we all kind of get tired of the same from last year. Like, let's go back. I know Tennessee hasn't, I mean, traditionally had a lot of big wins in the past 15 years. Or, I mean, they have. They had the Hail Mary, uh, the Dobbs, Dobb Nelbu. I mean, put that game on. Just the games from last year would be my only complaint, is I'd like to see some games within the past 10 years, 15 years, going a little bit further back, just so we're not looking at games from past year. I know it's like – Prisoner of the moment, hey, of course you're going to put the Tennessee game on from last year against Alabama. That was a big win for Tennessee. But I'm talking more like, hey, let's show the 2009 SEC championship game, Alabama-Florida. Let's show the 2008 SEC championship game, Alabama-Florida. Stuff like that, older games, maybe they tweak that up here. when It would be interesting when they add Oklahoma-Texas. They may have to throw some games in there. I mean, throw the Sugar Bowl from 2018, Texas-Georgia on there. But outside of that, I, mean, I would just like to see a little bit more games within that are a little bit older than the last 365 days. That's all I would say in regards to that. But also, if you're trying to get ready for football, Netflix has a great show before we get started here. I just recommend it. Quarterback on Netflix. Sounds like it was directed or produced by Peyton Manning, but it's just behind the scenes of the 2020 season, 2022 season. Them on the field, them in the locker room, off the field. Does a good job getting their uh, family involved. My wife's even liked it just from getting to kind of know the um, – the wives and the family between Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota, and then Patrick Mahomes. But I recommend you giving that a watch. You should kind of get your mind if you're trying to, hey, I'm trying to find some football stuff. I'm football hungry right now. That's some stuff too. And then also don't forget, we got SEC Media Day starting on Monday. That is going to be fun. Be giving it to you here on Monday and Thursdays. We do as we always do. So you'll be getting the news from that. But let's get to it. Like I said, we have two great guests, two great guests, two great segments. I'm fired up. First, we're going to bring Jake Crane on from Crane and Company. Great sports show they do over there. Um, we're going to do, I haven't seen anybody do it yet, but an SEC coaches, SEC football coaches draft. Just from the coaches this year, the 2023 SEC football coaches draft. Um, I think it's a unique exercise. Um, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to have an offensive coordinator be your, or your head coach be an offensive coordinator for college players. Guys like Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin. It's just we're going to stick to their roles. What they are. If they're uh, offensive coordinator, that's the only way they can get drafted. So we're going to go snake. He'll pick one. I'll pick one. I'll pick one. Then go him. It'll be like a snake draft, just like you do with your fantasy draft. But I think it'll get some things talking. I mean, get, get some good conversations going. I mean, again, I think it's one of those things you're always trying to build your staff. Every co every staff gets 11 full-time spots. It's including the head coach. It's the head coach and five, usually five on offense, five on defense. Every now and then you may see six 
on one side of the ball, four on the other side of the ball, and somebody may have a full-time special teams spot, or sometimes these staffs just split up special team duties. So me and Jake are going to go through it. Pick as we may. Remember, if he's a wide receiver coach, we can only pick him as a wide receiver coach. Again, can't be a play caller that is a head coach. Like I said, Lane Kiffin, Josh Heibel can't be my OC. Um, so also going through, but a key is, remember, when you're building a great staff, you want some guys that can be great teachers, uh, great guys for, great guys that can go in and scheme uh, to put their best players in the best position to succeed. Not, not all coaches can do that. Just like not all coaches are great recruiters. You also need some guys who can be some talent acquisition guys, not necessarily from an evaluation standpoint, that can go out there and bring some guys back that can help you in football games. Because at the end of the day, we know it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. But you have to have a good mix of guys that understand a scheme. We're going to play within that scheme. But we're also going to be smart enough and – put our best play to our best player strengths and put them in positions so we can be successful and they can be successful. But also I may have a guy that lacks a little bit from a coaching standpoint at the develop from a developmental standpoint, from a technique standpoint, but he's a dog in recruiting. He's a dog in recruiting. He can go get it done on the recruiting trail, bring us back the talent that ultimately is going to get us to Atlanta, the SEC championship. And usually if you're playing in Atlanta for the SEC championship, as we all know, you got a chance to go to the playoffs and beyond, especially now with the playoff moving to 12. So I think just think in mind when me and Jake are going through this, you're building a staff that kind of is a good mix, good recipe, X's and O's guys, from layman's terms, schematic guys, usually your coordinator spots, and then your recruiters, guys that got to go get the talent to be brought in to fit the system and give you the best shot of competing in the Southeastern Conference at a very high level. Uh, then also – we have Josh Murphy. It's Thursday. It's Scout School Thursday. If you Josh Murphy, who you got, you should be familiar with. Uh, most guys should be familiar with, from a standpoint of he, he's doing his own entrepreneurship. He's doing recruiting, consulting, uh, stuff like that. He's been a director uh, in recruiting at Washington. He's been a personnel assistant over offense at Georgia under Kirby Smart. Josh has seen some good lay. I mean, he's seen it from the best program in the SEC right now, and he's seen it for one of the best programs in the, that the West Coast has ever seen. From top to bottom, always I tell him, always been jealous of him a little bit. Always liked how he got. They weren't Washington didn't throw off, throw out a bunch of offers. Have you ever seen an interview with Chris Peterson? They had to fit their mold not only from an on the field personnel uh, standpoint, but also. From a character standpoint, you got to fit in the locker room. You got to be there, one of their kind of guys. So Josh has a good background on that. He's joining us. We're going to break down Doriel Green Beckham, the Missouri uh, wide receiver. We're also going to break down Kyle Pitts. You remember Florida tight end. And then finally, we're going to do Miles Garrett, the number one overdraw, draft, number one overall draft pick to the Cleveland Browns uh, from Texas A&M. So we're going to get to him. Um, and then. We will move on, but then we'll move on to a little Kentucky basketball. A little Kentucky basketball representing the United States in the Global Jam Opener in Toronto, Canada. Uh, the Cats were pretty impressive, and I will give you my thoughts on their first game in Germany. Uh, I thought Kentucky did some really good things, but we'll get to that. But as you know, we always start off the show with some portal news around the league. We have some basketball and baseball portal news since Monday's show. Uh, Tennessee loses Harvard transfer Chris Ledlam. Uh, he, he was an all Ivy League guy. I think he would have been a solid player for him. Average 18.8 points per game last year at Harvard, and I believe 8.6 boards, 8.6 uh, boards per game as well. Uh, I think oh, Josiah Jordan James coming back that probably affected him just a little bit. 
Uh, also, Toby Iwaka having a great summer with Team USA in the FIBA U19 Team World Cup. I think that kind of had something to do with it. Sounds like he's even willing to walk on. So we got that from that standpoint. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Tennessee's about to go on a 10-day uh, trip to Italy. Georgia, I believe, will also be in Italy from those European tours this year. Kentucky's not in Europe. Obviously, they're playing against Canada right now. But we'll get to that in just a minute. But just to wrap up some baseball portal news, Missouri, big commitment from Wake Forest transfer Danny Corona. Uh, from Like I said, from Wake Forest, Alabama got Ole Miss transfer T.J. McCants, played right field for Ole Miss, had a big home run in the College World Series last year. Mississippi State received a commitment from Miami transfer Carson Lagan, right-handed pitcher, had two solid seasons at uh, Miami, could be a mid-rotation guy for him. Uh, and then just a heads up, Stanford, Braden Montgomery is going to enter the portal, the number five overall 2024 draft prospect. He's from Madison, Mississippi. Again, he's coming from Stanford. Expect him to go somewhere probably – in the southeast but let's get to it right here we got jake on with us right jake you on brother yeah man i know uh, i'm a little bit early but uh oh, try jake to, you're, try to be oh, you're good you're good brother i appreciate you taking the time getting on with us man big fan of the show i think y'all do a great job you get right to it uh again anybody that doesn't already listen i know a lot of people listen Listen to Crane and Company. Jake, which are you on at what, 7 a.m. every morning? Yeah, we go uh, 6.30 to 8 a.m. Central is the live show during the weekday, uh, 7.30 to 9 a.m. Eastern, obviously. And, yeah, man, it's uh, we're, we're hot and heavy in the college football right now and obviously the NFL around the corner. But, you know, we talk a little bit of everything. Perfect, brother. Perfect. So we'll get back to the Kentucky stuff here in a minute. Jake, join us. So, Jake, me and you talked a little bit over Twitter. So SEC 2023 SEC football coaches draft. Explain the rules, and I got some other questions just from an SEC standpoint before we get into it. So me and you both, you you worked in college football. We both we'll, we have 11 coaches. Uh, we can do it however we want. You've been around staffs, so I'm sure, that you've had a defensive end coach and a defensive tackles coach or one defensive line coach. You know, you may even have a corners coach, safeties coach, or just one secondary coach. So whatever we want, we'll do a snake draft. Uh, honestly, when I thought of this idea, I thought I was like, I mean, I think Jake would probably be a pretty good idea if you were willing to get on, and thankfully you were. But uh, before we get to that, before we start the draft, I wanted to get a couple thoughts from you, get you to answer a few questions. I saw your Florida Billy Napier take today. wanted to get into that. But what are you most excited about heading into the 2023 season from a, specifically the SEC? Well, you know, you, you look at the SEC West first. I mean, I think it's about as wide open as it's been in a while. Uh, we know Alabama's had such a dominant run, but you look at what LSU did last year. Auburn's an unknown with Hugh Freeze. Do they have enough depth to be able to really make a push? Mississippi State with Zach Arnett going into the first year, changing offense. I expect him to be pretty good defensively with Zach there. We know with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, you're going to get a lot of points put up. How good are they going to be defensively? And then Sam Pittman in Arkansas. You know, we talk about coaches on the hot seat, not that Sam's on one, but eventually – He's going to have to break through there. You know, the honeymoon phase is kind of over. Uh, so I think that that's a big thing to look at. Then you look at the East. Obviously, Georgia with their schedule, with their talent, with their depth up front. You know, I think they have to be a clear-cut favorite to win. And I expect Carson Beck to maybe have a little bit of struggles early, but they're good enough to be able to make up for that, and he'll eventually get in his groove. But then Tennessee with Jill Milton. Now, I'm looking at Tennessee and South Carolina. I said the other day on Twitter, we talked about it on the show, you know, they both upgraded to a better neighborhood last year. Who's going to be the one that can move into the mansion? Who's going to be the yeah. team that can say, hey, listen, this wasn't some, you know, not one hit wonder, but the progress we showed last year for South Carolina, specifically at the end of the year. I know they had a couple ugly losses. Hendon Hooker got hurt at the end there for Tennessee, but they had a big year. Who's going to be able to sustain that? Missouri and Drink, I think there's a lot of heat there. Obviously, we know about Billy Napier in Florida. We're going to talk about that. And then Kentucky, you know, a lot of people really aren't talking about Kentucky. 
Uh, I find it very interesting considering NC State with Devin Leary last year, uh, you know, they were hotter than a, than a fat kid in the first sleeping bag at summer camp and, and ended up not turning out to be what they thought. And then Vanderbilt, too, man. I know I've gone through basically every team, but, you know, what's, is this Vanderbilt team going to keep taking steps with Clark Lee? Uh, I love them at minus 18 and a half at home against Hawaii in, uh, you know, week zero, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great line. I think I expect that spread to go up. So there's a lot of unknowns. If you look at the, you know, the, the coaching situations, it's always intriguing. We got media days coming up. But from an on-the-field standpoint, I mean, I think it's pretty wide open in some aspects. You're, you're right. Obviously, Vanderbilt doesn't provide the name, the sexy name that a lot of teams do. You're right, though. I thought their over-under total for Vegas was an easy one. I thought if I was going to take three teams in the SEC, their over-under total. Vandy, honestly, what was it, three and a half? I was like, we'll get to four wins. Like, I mean, yeah, you would, you would think, but with Vanderbilt, I mean, look, I'm never, uh, I'm never going to be too confident. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, but I, that's one of mine. Uh, and then the next one, who will be your biggest surprise this year? It could be good or bad. Just overall biggest surprise. Um, you know, from a, I'll give you one good and, and one bad. I do think, and and uh, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, you you grew up an Auburn fan. We're all a fan of somebody. I've been harder on Auburn than anybody. I think Auburn. I, I think they got a good chance to go eight and four. You know, I, I really like Hugh. I like what he's done in the transfer portal up front. That's where I look at first. None of the other stuff matters if you're not able to compete up front. I like the transfers he's brought in on the offensive line. The biggest question for Auburn, kind of in that same vein is will that pass rush be effective enough to let guys like DJ James go to work back there? Nehemiah Pritchett, experienced guys like that uh, that we know can play. You look at the linebacker situation, they've had some young guys that have gotten older after losing some pretty big pieces last year at that position. So I think Auburn going 8-4, and four, I, I, and I, I typically hold my predictions until the end of fall camp, but I'm kind of leaning that way right now. Uh, and then as far as a, a surprise that's not, not so good, you know, when, when I look at – when I look at Tennessee, Joe Milton's just got to prove it to me. Um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. We can speculate on if he's figured it out, if he hasn't figured it out. That's one. And then A&M with Petrino and Jimbo. I, I actually think it was a great hire. I think A&M, is, it smells like 9-3 and three to me, uh, which will please some of the fan base of A&M. I don't think it'll nearly please uh, the amount that, that Jimbo wants. But those are a couple to keep an eye on. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you in the Auburn pick. I honestly think the schedule sets up personally. I, I think Auburn has seven wins going into the Iron Bowl. I, I, I'll, I'll yeah. leave it at that. I, I think they I could beat. Think that's crazy at all. I don't think it's yeah. crazy at all. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat. I mean, I, I, I think I've mentioned on Twitter, when is the last time Alabama went into Auburn and played at Jordan-Hare Stadium and actually kind of ran them out of 2011? I mean, you could maybe yeah, say 2015, but they pulled away late. Yeah, and look, there's a lot of unknowns for this Bama team right now. I mean, when's the last time you saw Alabama start a brand-new left tackle and quarterback in the same year? Not, we know how talented they are. We, we know how well they recruit. Uh, Caleb Downs, to me, I think is, is going to be an absolute stud, the young kid they got on defense. We know they're talented. Uh, they got Texas coming in week two, and the more I look at Texas, man, the more I like. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's a game they could lose, too, for sure. I, I'm with you. I think it's the most open the SEC West has been – since 2014, 15, going into the season. Going into the season. I agree. Yeah. And then uh, last one, or I got two more for you. But, all right, Billy, you may, I saw your uh, take on Billy Napier today. Thoughts on Billy Napier needing time? And what is enough time, in your opinion? Like, what is it in, just overall yeah. in today's landscape? I, you, you go ahead. Well, you know, one thing is you don't want to water down the standard. I'm not, I'm not trying to water down the standard at Florida. Florida's the place you can win. They've proven that. We've seen that. Multiple times. I mean, this is a program 
I believe between 1980 and 2012, didn't have a losing season, somewhere around there. And, and they've kind of fallen off a little bit lately. But when I look at Billy and I look at, at, at what he's having to do, you know, it's one thing to have to bring in talented players and be able to accumulate enough depth to be able to go run with the Georgias and, and look like, well, you know, what Tennessee's building and Joe Milton can, can come through. Now they got a talented young kid at quarterback. But it's another thing to bring in the right type of great players. You know, football isn't baseball. It isn't yeah. basketball. One guy can't go out there and win the game. If a pitcher goes out, throws a perfect game, hell, you score a run on the air, you can win. Basketball, if I got LeBron James on my team, he can go out there and drop 50 points, you know, yeah, give me 15 guy. rebounds and 12 assists or, or Jokic or something like that. This sport doesn't work like that. So uh, getting the locker room right, we hear the word culture all the time, and, and I think it's overused, but it's so important. It's a big part of it. Uh, it's it's turned into a cliche word now, but I've been in the business. That locker room, they ha you have to have players police themselves. You have to. And it's not just older guys on older guys. It's not just older guys on one group of recruits. That takes time because what happens is you bring in talented players and they learn how to lead. That They don't just learn how uh, the coverage is and, you know, what do we call this front? What do we call this movement? What do we call this run stunt? They learn how to lead. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you don't have problems off the field, but in that locker room and out there when the game's being played and out there at practice, there's a certain way to lead, and that takes time. And when I look at Florida, and I get it, man. If you're a Florida fan, you're, it's, it's always keeping up with the Joneses, right? You don't want to get the rawhide wallet. You want to get Hulk hands. You look right now, Georgia's doing their thing, playing the best they've ever played, ever. You look at Tennessee coming up, the way South Carolina ended the year. Hell, even Vandy's got a little bit of momentum. Uh, and you lost that game last year. So I, I get it. But, Billy, typically it takes, before the transfer portal, people expected, hey, you got three years. You got three, three years. Three cycles. Years. Yeah. You've got three seasons to be able to show us really good progress, a lot of momentum going into year four, and you can really get your culture instilled after three years to go along with the recruiting. Well, now, with the transfer portal freedom and the way the arms race continues, whether that's resources, whether that's facilities, whether that's salaries, it's now a two-year window, but it is damn near impossible, not only with the schedule that Florida has this year, but the one they have in 2024. I mean, if Billy's able to go seven and five and then eight and four going into 2025, I think Florida's going to sit in a really good spot. But we don't live in a time where patience, especially with the money he's getting paid, I think he's top five right now uh, in SEC coaches, yeah. getting paid, even with a young guy that's 43 years old. Uh, you look at a Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. He had time. Right? Dabo had time. And I know it's in the ACC. And even with Dabo, they were ready to fire him the year before they really took off. So Ford is a place that can be great. I think Billy can get that thing turned around, but he's having to build it from the foundation up. Because while Dan Mullen wasn't huge on recruiting, Florida recruits itself, but they didn't maximize their potential, the culture there was, for lack of a better term, it was, it was dog crap. I don't know another way to put it. So he had to build that, and I think the patience is going to pay off if they're patient enough, and I think their AD is going to be. But I know how fan bases are. Fan is short for fanatical. At the end of the day, you got to be able to ride the ship through the rocky waves to get to the clear and smooth water. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I feel like from talking to people that have worked there, you, it was mainly guys that worked with Mullen and a little, some guys under Mac when the admin after the whole Urban Meyer era was not really on board for winning. It sounds like, like you said, Scott Strickland, it's getting that way. Like you said, will they get – because it could get – like you said, with the schedule, it could get bad this year. So, I mean, yeah. it's not crazy to think they start off one and two. No, it's a, that's. I think Utah may beat them by 17 or more points. I mean, Utah right now, I mean, we look at what they're returning. 
that's not going to be a walk in the park. And one of the huge advantages that Florida had last year was they were playing in that Florida humidity. Utah was throwing up Gatorade halfway through the first quarter, and still it took a huge Ventrell Miller interception at the end of the game when Cam Risen should have just tucked it and ran it in yeah. to be able to pull that one out. So that's going to be tough. You look at that schedule, man. I mean, you've got Utah and Florida State. That's your potential Pac-12 and ACC champion right there. Yeah. You throw that in uh, with, with the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, you look at having to play LSU, having to play Tennessee. I mean, you go down the list. It's going to be tough, but you just you got to stay the course. You got to believe in the process. And nowadays, everybody wants everything right now. And I get it, right? I get the keeping up with the Joneses. But at some point, you got to sit back and let the man cook. Jake gets us our last question before we get to draft time. Over under one and a half coaches in the SEC lose their job this year after us talking about Billy Napier. Oh, man. Um, I mean, who, 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 are the, who are the candidates off the top of your head? I, well, look, unless it's just a total disaster, I don't think AM is going to get rid of Jimbo. You look right now, I mean, you look at Drinkwitz. I know we got that extension last year, but if it goes south quick, uh, yeah. they may pull the trigger. Kentucky's not going anywhere with Stoops, obviously. Vandy's not going anywhere with Clark Lee. Uh, I don't think Arkansas would fire Sam Pittman if they, even if they went five and seven. I'm going to go. Now, are we saying fired or are we saying anybody leaves for the NFL? Let's say fired. You're, that, that, that went through my mind, too. Let's just say fired. Now, leaving, if you said, I'd probably go over. I'll say under. But about at one, just right at About it. at one. I, yeah, I would put it at one. That hook, it, it always gets you, man. It's like Peter Pan. No, no you're 100% right. But, yeah, overall, like you said, you never know what comes open, what job comes open, someone leaves. I feel like there's a shocker every year. But I thought one and a half would be a good little over-under. Because, like you said, no, you got – that's a good place to put it at. That, that's where I think Vegas would put it at. All right, Jake, let's get to why you're here, brother. Draft time. Remember, all right, a one, one through, get 11 picks. You lead us off. You're the guest. We'll go snake route just so we both can have different turns going first and second. You lead us off, brother. Uh, right, I'll, write down, I'll write down the picks here just so we can keep up with it. All right, I'll, uh, with the first overall SEC coach draft, uh, I'm going to go Kirby Smart from Georgia. There we go. Kirby Smart from the University of Georgia. All right, yes. after you, I'm going to go Nick I'm going to go Nick Saban. And mm. then I will go again. I will go with got my defensive mind. I got to go with um Let's go Bob. I'm going to go I'm going to go Bobby P. I'm going to go Bobby P. Okay. I like that. I'm going to go give me, let's see. I got Kirby. I feel really good about the defense. God, I want to just pick all head coaches and put them at coordinators. Um, I gonna, that's what I said before you got on. I was like, man, if we did that, you'd have like Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel. Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, OC, give me – that's a good one. God, Golish is gone. I'm happy for him, though. He got the head job at USF. Give yeah. me uh, – You know what? Give me Phil Montgomery, old Tulsa head coach. Give I like that. No, I like little Art Bryles. Let's get the splits right. Let's get a little weird in the route combinations. Let's. let's no, I like it. that. Again, there's not really that many. There's really not that many out there. But yeah, you're not. You're again. You're you're back up. Give me uh, at DC. I, this this may be a little bit of a surprise here. I want to go young. I want to go energetic. Kirby's my head coach. I'm not worried about the defense. I want a great recruiter. Give me Travis Williams from Arkansas. T Will, I like it. I like T Will with the energy. Let's go T Will for Jake. There's the DC. 
All right, coming back to me. I'm going to get my DC. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Glenn Schumann. That'll that'll get that'll get my inside linebacker oh, as well. So I'll count that for my is my inside linebackers coach. And then coming back to me, like you said, you got to build it on the on in the trenches. I'm going to go. Um, I'll go. Uh, I'm gonna go Elijah Robinson at defensive. I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna go defensive tackles coach and defensive ends coach. All right, because I just got my inside backer. I'm gonna go Elijah Robinson at defensive uh, defensive tackles coach. Man, I, I, I want to do it. I, I want to do an honorary one here for the defensive line in in whole. I'm gonna go Terry Price, who just passed away. Here we go. Um, you know, a guy that was at Auburn for a long time, um, who I knew well. He's been around. Heck of a coach. Heck of a person. Heck of a heck. Hell on the grill, I can tell you that. Uh, dude, ate, ate at his team. house numerous times. I, I was there. With, I was at A and M with him for two years. So, dude, yeah. you're 100. Yeah. I know you know him from the. I know you know him from your uh, Auburn back. But you're right. He's a great overall dude. Yeah, you're not lying about the grilling. Yeah, no, I, I'm gonna go Terry Price for the D line. Terry Price, like it coming coming back at you there, Jake. Uh, DBs, I'm gonna go Traveris uh, uh, Robinson. Oh, I do. Are you going? Are you just going secondary as a whole? I'm going just, secondary. I want this guy coach the secondary. I want to coach. The, I know you have guys that coach the corners and the safeties, but I want I want somebody overall for give me Travis Robinson. All right, so we're keeping up with it now. Jake's team current or staff, I should say, currently Kirby Smart's the head ball coach. OC Phil Montgomery, DC Travis Williams, uh, defensive end Terry Price, and secondary T Rob Travis Robinson. Uh, all right, for me, I'm gonna go defensive line. Give me, um, I'm gonna go Brad Davis from LSU randomly enough. Oh, I like that. I like that. I'm gonna go Brad Davis randomly enough. Uh, and then I'm gonna go, hmm, go Corey Raymond in the secondary. That's a great pick. Corey does a great job. All right, back to back to you, brother. Linebacker, I'm gonna go. He's the new co DC. At Florida, but he's going to coach linebackers. Give me Austin Armstrong. I like it, brother. I like that. Austin Armstrong. All right, back at you. Uh, wide receiver, I'm going to go with a, a good friend of mine. I coached with him in South Alabama. Uh, some people won't like this one, but give me Damian Craig from Texas. You see Damian Craig, baby. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. So right now, Kirby Smart, your head ball coach, Phil Montgomery's your OC, Damian Craig, wide receiver, T. Will, Travis Williams, DC, Austin Armstrong on the defensive staff, Terry Price is your ends coach, and secondary is T. Rob. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go running. I'm gonna go Dell McGee at running back. That's a good one. You stole my Dell McGee one. at running back, and then. I'm going to go Rodney Garner as my DN's coach. There you go. All right. So, for me, my head coach is Nick Saban, OC Bobby Petrino, running backs coach Dale McGee, offensive line coach Brad Davis, defensive coordinator inside linebackers coach Glenn Schumann, defensive tackles coach Elijah Robinson, DN's coach Rodney Garner, and then secondary coach Corey Raymond. Back to you, brother. Um, Let's see. We both got three more picks. Running backs, running backs. You know what? G give me Cadillac Williams, man. Give me Caddy. Yo, McCaddy. Give me Caddy. 
Well, you got four. You got three now. Uh, Cadillac Williams. All right, three picks left, brother. Quarterback coach, are we going there? Uh, Phil Montgomery. You want him to be your yeah, quarterback yeah, coach? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, so you got OL tight end, and it looks like either like a defensive tackle out or defensive end OL. Uh, sorry, defensive tackle or like OLB's coach or hell special teams coach. You want to go a solo dolo special teams guy? Hmm. I tell you what, at uh, tight ends. At tight end, give me give me Robert Owens. Robert Owens, here we go, baby. Add him in. All right, I'm right behind you. I'm gonna go tight end as well. I'm gonna go Todd Hartley from Georgia. He used to be my old boss when I was under him as the he was the director player personnel out there, right when Kirby got there. Yep, yep, I'll yep, go yep. with him. Obviously, we know his track record with tight ends. And then I will take – I'm really not that fired up. I'm not really fired up about any uh, any of the receiver coaches, really. I mean, I guess I'll go – I guess I'll go Holman, Holman Wiggins. I mean, this is a big year for him, I feel like, to Purdue. I mean, he kind of inherited that big room with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, yep. and them. He recruited some of the young bucks, so we'll see. But I think it's kind of a big year for him. So, it looks like my offense is set, and I got one more pick. You got two. Yeah, I got offensive line and then what? D tackle? Uh, whatever you want to do that last defensive spot, D tackle or uh, can I can I guess an, a, a, you could do an inside backers coach, but you got Austin um, Armstrong. You're, so your D staff right now is T Will, Austin Armstrong, Terry Price, and T Rob. Give me an offensive line. Give me Zach Yenzer from Kentucky. Zach Yenzer, there we go. Big year for them too. Yeah, I lo- I love what they do up front. Yeah, you you like Kentucky this year? I mean, I I like the way Stoops operates the physicality up front. Devin Leary, I, I think he's pissed off after last year. I question the weapons around him at Kentucky. Uh, that's why I think the focus is going to be a ton on the run game. Obviously, I know it has been in the past. And with Stoops, that's the way it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, man, give me Yenzer. I like the way he gets after it. Zach Yenzer. There we go. And then you got one more. Mm, let me think. Backers. Backers, give me. Well, I mean, T. Will technically. That's what I'm saying. T. Will and Austin Armstrong are both inside guys. You got your D line. Yeah. Um, give me Ron Roberts. I like that. We're we're just collecting defensive minds here. Yeah. Hey, Javi, Javi. I can see Javier in the chat. Javi, what's up, man? Is this the same Javi Gonzalez I know? Yeah, Javier. Hob, where you at? Last time I talked, you were. Wait, wait, I think Javi got State? out of it. If it's the same Javi, yeah. uh, I'm thinking about, man. This goes all the way back to Juco days, man. Maybe. I hope I got the right guy. Yes. That's what yes, this I was is the right to. guy. You already know. You already know, Javi. The victory is <laughs> still there. Hashtag never forget. Never forget. <laughs> That rugby read, baby, I'd still run it today. I don't know why everybody doesn't run a rugby punt. I don't understand it. Oh, we got guys out here running two-man shield punts. When you could be running a rugby punt, oh, man, we used to have the read built in, depending on the numbers. Oh, man, I'm just telling you, it was witchcraft and wizardry. It probably worked on the fakes, 
And and the fake was it wasn't like we called the fake a ton unless something was just obviously there. But off that read, it probably worked seventy five percent of the time. <laughs> All right, so we're putting Jake Crane down as just a special teams guy. Yeah, look, I'll do it. Sign me up. I still do it. Hell, I still got All my right. uh, install. I'll put the jump drive in. We'll get weird. All right, here we go. Let's see, I think I got one more. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I got my last one. Filled the D spot. I, I, I'll go Pete Limbo, just special teams. Since you, since I like that. Jake Crane, Jake like Crane is already taken, so I got to go to the next yeah. best special teams guy. There we go. All right, hey, so here, hey, here's the final teams, Jake. You, you're the guest in the show, so here's your team right here, or your staff, I should say. Kirby Smart's the head ball coach for the Fighting yep. Cranes. Then we got OC quarterback Philip Montgomery from Auburn. Cadillac Williams sitting at running backs coach. Wide receivers coach Damian Craig. Offensive line coach Zach Yenser. Tight end coach Robert Owens, DC inside linebackers. We got T. Will. Then we got Aut from Arkansas. Then Austin Armstrong from Florida. Ron Roberts from Auburn. Andre Pick, Terry Price. Secondary, T. Rob, and then himself coaching his own special teams unit. I can respect Jake Crane. Hey, no. look, me, let's go to war. I'm ready. We're recruiting our ass off. We're going to war. For me, we'll go head coach Nick Saban, offense coordinator, quarterbacks coach Bobby Petrino. Running backs coach Dell McGee, wide receivers coach Holman Wiggins, offensive line coach Brad Davis, tight ends coach Todd Hartley, DC inside linebackers coach Glenn Schumann, defensive tackles coach Elijah Robinson, defensive ends coach Rodney Garner, secondary Corey Raymond, and then special teams Pete Limbo. And you know what I'm going to do here? I'm going to take my guy. I'm sorry, I'm doing this to Rodney Garner. Love him. Taking him off. I'm going to add an out. I'm going to let Elijah coach the whole defensive end. It's the trade. Or whole defensive line. It's the trade. I'm going Chidera Uzo Deribe, young cat I coached with, it, or he was a coach, I was a personnel guy. At Kansas, now outside linebackers, young buck, could get a bunch of guys uh, in the room, great recruiter, played at Colorado under uh, Mike McIntyre. So I think I, I'm trading him. Sorry, Rodney, I'm going the youth route. Uh, but, Jake, yeah, that's a, it's a solid squad there, brother. Dude, I mean, look, Especially I feel good about both our teams, man. I, I like the uh... – uh, a lot of guys with a lot of different attributes, versatility there. I, I think there'd be a lot of success on those two staffs. Well, I, and that's what I was explaining before, Jay. You go into it before we get you out of here a little bit. It's like when you're building those 11 spots, I was telling people, you got 11 full-time spots, including the head coach. You got to build it with a mixture of guys who are a little bit scheme, good teachers, understand the game to put their best players in good positions to su succeed. But also you got to go have guys that can go get players so you go compete at the highest level in whatever conference that is. Definitely. And, and, you know, I, I always like, you know, because you always think as, as a coach, even as a young coach, if I ever get a head coaching job, you know, have, what type of staff would I put together? What am I learning from other guys? You know, age-wise, I like guys that are older and guys that are younger. I like a good mix of that. Uh, you don't want a bunch of just old guys on the staff. You don't want a bunch of just young guys. You want a good uh, mix in between the staffs. And, and guys, that, look, some guys can recruit better than others. Some have better connections than others. You know, recruiting isn't just about going in there and talking. That's a huge part of it. You got to have personality, uh, but having those old connections where you can go to that high school and that coach, you know where the classrooms are at. He knows you're going to take care of his kids. Uh, that's uh, going to shoot that's you. It's like you said, he's going to shoot you straight. Like, hey, am I really straight. in this or not? Like you said, you got your ears on the ground. Yeah, that's exactly right. So no, it's uh, it's staff dynamics. I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't think we talk about roster management enough when it comes to college football. That's all we talk about in the NFL. Uh, but in college, I mean, one of the reasons Nick said that we talk about the blueprint, right? And the process. Well, a lot of that is roster management. That's why I brought up, you know, Alabama losing a left tackle and a quarterback at the same time. Those two symbiotic spots. 
you don't see that a lot at Alabama because it's not yep. built that way. So uh, there's a lot more that goes on underneath the surface than what people see. Absolutely, man. Well, I, man, I know you could be doing a lot of other things with your time, but just want to get on, talk football. I watch the show, enjoy it. Everybody get out there, watch uh, Crane and Company, Jake Crane uh, with your bro- brother Bl- uh, Blaine Crane and yep. then uh, David Cohn. Also, the group's a good job. You'll do a great job. Uh, I appreciate you joining us, man. We'll hopefully have you on here as football season during the season at some point. But again, man, I appreciate you taking the time, hopping on with us. Dave, you do a really good job, man. I know you know what you're talking about. Uh, I'm always down to come on, and I would like to apologize for my brother uh, during All Access today. He said the office was mid, and uh, I just, I'm still reeling from it. Uh, it's a tough time right now, but I think we're going to get through it. <laughs> All right, brother. Appreciate you. See you, Dave. Later, man. Great guest there. Great guest. Hope you enjoyed uh, our draft right there, our 2023 SEC coaches draft. Um, again, uh, we are drafting one through 11. It's as many full-time spots as you get in college football. You get a head coach, 10 spots uh, to maximize on offense and defense. So uh, just going through that, just recapping that one more time. Uh, my team, the fighting Dave Shemates, we had Nick Saban leading the charge. Uh, Bobby Petrino from Texas A&M as my offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. Running backs coach Dale McGee, uh, wide receivers coach Holloman Wiggins, offensive line coach Brad Davis, and tight ends coach Todd Hartley. On defense, I have Glenn Schumann leading my defense. He will also be my inside linebackers coach. Um, a defensive, line, defensive line in total, I got Elijah Robinson from Texas A&M. Then my outside linebackers coach, Chidera Uzo Rebe from Georgia. And then I got Corey Raymond, former LSU DBU, now coaching at Florida. He will be my secondary coach, coaching both the corners and safety. Jake, the fighting Jake Cranes. They got Kirby Smart leading them. Probably the best coach in the league right now. Uh, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach Phil Montgomery. Running back coach Cadillac Williams. Wide receivers coach Damian Craig. Offensive line coach Zach Yenser. Tight ends coach Robert Owens. Uh, then on defense, just kind of he collected a, just a bunch of different minds on defense from a coordinator standpoint. Georgia staff's kind of shaped like that. Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann. So it's not out of the ordinary, but they got Travis Williams, D.C. from Arkansas. Austin Armstrong, the D.C. from Florida. And then Ron Roberts, the D.C. from Auburn. Add in his honorary pick, Terry Price, rest in peace, great human being. Um, tragically passed away uh, recently. He was the defensive end coach at Texas A&M. So Jake, honorary picked him as his defensive line coach. And then his secondary coach is Traverse Robinson, uh, secondary coach at Alabama. Used to be the D.C. at Florida and South Carolina. And then he is himself as Jake Crane, former special teams guy. He will run his own special teams. So there we go right there. And also, sorry, oh my, I got my special teams, Pete Limbo, South Carolina's. Um, special teams coordinator does a great job. I really like we're really like both our teams. Had a good combo. Where the key is mixing, like we just talked about, a, bu- a bunch of teachers, guys that understand scheme, guys that can put players in their best possible position to have success. And you also need guys on staff. It's a good mixture to go out and get that talent, like Jake was mentioned, having the connections in those high school um, can go in there and build those relationships to bring that talent that you need for whatever conference to go compete at the highest level for you to be able to go get that talent and bring that in. But in just a minute, let me get the old invite over to my guy, Josh Murphy. And let me get ready for him. It's about it's about time to start doing a little scout school. Let me send a new one to him. And then right after that, I will talk a little Kentucky, a little Kentucky Wildcats. Let's do it. Let me send Josh the invite. He's actually playing right now. I could get us a little 
give us a little score update. But let me send this link to Josh. All right. Just sent it to him. Should be good from that perspective. Perfect. Perfect. All right, we're good. Let's get to a little Kentucky Wildcat basketball real fast. So, Kentucky, if you did not know, they are representing the United States in the Global Jam 2023 tournament in Toronto, Canada. Uh, yesterday, they're guaranteed, they're, they're guaranteed three games, four games if they make it to a championship game. And if I'm if I remember correctly, this is a 23 and under tournament. So you got some older guys, and remember. Kentucky signed the top-rated freshman class in the country. I got some young cats on that. I'll give you my initial thoughts. But they started off the tournament yesterday with a win against a 23-and-under Germany team, 81-73. It's a fun game to watch. Germany was pretty good, too. Some really good shooting all the way around. I mean, just some initial thoughts here uh, on the on Kentucky's really, I guess you'd say, first game. And, again, people may be like, I thought the you can only do international tours once every four years, and Kentucky went to the Bahamas last year. Well, Technically, they're not considering this Canadian tournament because they're representing the United States is an overseas tournament, but it is. But real quick, just getting to the Kentucky Wildcats. Remember, this is just an overall. This is just an overall young team where they signed the number one freshman class in the country. Athletes all over the place stood out to me. You got DJ guys like DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, the young cats they signed in that number one class. They looked fluid. They looked real twitchy. They, Kentucky's fast. They're going to get up tempo. I was impressed a little bit with their defense. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Antonio Reeves coming back to Kentucky, maybe the one of the biggest gets of the year. Kentucky, eh, beginning of June, into May, Cal California only had seven scholarship guys. Antonio Reeves, remember, he entered the draft, then he entered the portal, had to go take some classes at his old school, get ready. He decided to come back. As of yesterday, after that eight-point win against the 23-and-under German team, I mean, that looked pretty good. I mean, Reeves shot really well. From beyond the arc, I'm not just looking at stats. I was watching the game a little bit. Came on at 12:30, I remember. But 24 points on eight of 16 shooting, and he was three of seven from beyond the arc. Tony Reeves, I think they're really gonna be fired up about getting him back. And then another guy, I remember Bob Huggins, got in all that trouble. A couple of the West Virginia guys transferred. Teams like Kentucky and Alabama benefited from that. Yesterday, Kentucky Trey Mitchell, late get they got from West Virginia, gonna give him some backcourt depth. He looked pretty good yesterday. Remember, this is without Aaron Bradshaw. This is about two of their better players that are hurt that are probably going to miss some of the fall preseason camp stuff before the season starts in November. So I was more impressed with Kentucky than most people think. The defense was really good, forcing 22 turnovers. And the guy I was most impressed with was that Du Thero, much improved, uh, probably three-spot guy, looked more fluid, looked more comfortable, long-rangey guy, defends well, can get to the basket, finishes. Liked what I saw with him. But Kentucky uh, – couldn't get the score going, but they're playing right now. I think a game on CBS Sports Network tonight. It'll replay. A, a, it's not going to be live. But it'll replay their game versus Team Canada. But it's again just one game against the 23 and under German team. Was real impressed. Again, I think that end of June, month of July has been real kind of Kentucky, where they are limited on numbers, just bodies in general. But again, I mean, from what I saw yesterday, it's just one game. But I do think these international tournaments give these teams a chance to bond be a little bit of that glue. And, again, I'm impressed because two of Kentucky's front court guys are out. And they still look pretty good. Again, I think big-time gets with Trey Mitchell from West Virginia and Antonio Reeves, who was on the team last year. That could be the biggest get, biggest returner they had from last year because they, they have a young team. They signed the number one freshman class. They need some veteran guys to kind of 
mash a little bit to keep the freshmen. Because in March, the veterans, older guys win. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. But it's time for a little scout school, guys. It's a little th- it's Thursday. We're bringing on my guy, Jay Money Murph. There he is, baby. Murph, what is in up? The house, what is bro, up? Brother. Murph, would you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What is that, man? I can hear you. We just that, had uh, that was a fun segment y'all just had. I like hearing the. Uh, yeah, Hell, Murph, I was just I was bringing that up. We I drafted Dell McGee. Murph, you worked with Dell McGee hand in hand at Georgia. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Dell McGee, kind of stuff he likes. Just I, I, y'all had a close knit relationship. He used to work in his office, so he was drafted. He was drafted. He's actually on Team Shoemate, actually running backs coach. We're gonna dominate the city of Columbus. Uh, you tell me just some things you liked working with Dell. You were his right hand man in recruiting. Yeah, you had a uh, you had a few of our guys. You had you had Dell, or at least a few of the guys that I was there with Dell and and Hartley and uh, Schumann. So good good hearing some of those names uh, back in the mix. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, Coach McGee, Dell was was uh, he was cool, man. He was he was uh, kind of like quiet, but carried himself with confidence and did his work and did his job. Um, you know, guys really respected him. Um, he was always, he, you know, in a place where uh, he, he always was very respectful to me and very kind to me in a place where maybe not a lot of coaches always were. And uh, he let me hang out. Basically, he just let – I moved in his office. Uh, his Basically, his first day of work, and I never left. Um, and he never kicked me out. So, he, he uh, I, I pretty much just hung out in the back of his office for about, you know, I don't know, 11, 12 months when he first just got hired. But, no, he was cool. Um, you know, we have, at this point, we haven't talked in a few years. But awesome to see, you know, him recruiting at a high level. And, you know, his first couple of years when I was there, it was – you know, Swift and Zamir and Holyfield and all those kind of big time guys. Tennille Carter ended up going somewhere else, but you know, he was part of the mix. Uh, you know, Zach Evans was was in the in the wings. You know, we were recruiting him at you know at the time when I left. McIntosh, uh, you know, Dejan Edwards. So super cool to see those guys turn out and, and see Coach McGee still be there doing his thing. So good pick. Good pick. Yeah, no, I uh and the accused mentioned Todd Hartley for people who don't know, like Everybody kind of remembers him as the guy. I think after this year, he's going to have five straight. I was looking at today. five straight after the, the 2024 draft when Brock Bowers is drafted. Inevitably, he will have five straight drafts with a tight end from Georgia getting drafted. And and it's crazy. No, no, no. Sorry, not from, I, I misspoke. Not from Georgia. Five straight drafts uh, from guys from Hartley going back to Miami would have been drafted. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean. I mean, the thing is, like, I think if you go back to the the Hartley era when when he was our boss and you know he was our DPP, uh, it was clear that he cared a ton, and it was clear that he uh, wanted to excel at his job and that he was committed to that, and he knew the sacrifice that he was putting his family through, and that he would, had already kind of gone through in the past for himself. So he was all in, and he was committed, and he had a very um, you know, clear path of what he wanted to do. And he's just kind of been all in ever since. And he, you know, he was a genuine dude. He's a nice guy. And he was, again, like with Coach McGee, one of those guys that you could actually talk to that was a person still. And, and and you know, I think Coach Pruitt kind of put him through the ringer those first couple of years when he was at Georgia as our DPP. But, I mean, just him being in the right position and, and getting a chance to be a tight end coach shows you, like, how much, how important it is 
to be with the right staff and to be a right, you know, to be a right, you know, around the right people because, you know, he was misused and kind of worn down as a DPP. And, and then you go on, you see him go to Miami and, and Georgia and, and you see him kind of settle in where he, where he probably should and, and he's killing it. So super happy for him. And, you know, it's funny. I always think of like one of my lasting impressions is Chris Barnes is Chris Barnes was a offensive line recruit that we uh, that we had at Georgia. His dad, you know, big dude. Uh, he would always come in and mess with Hartley's desk whenever time he was on campus just to mess with him because Hartley was so I kind of – the color-coded markers, remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he you know, it, it, Hartley was always kind of OCD, um, always very driven, always cared a lot. But, you know, him him churning out, uh, you know, the dudes that he's been churning out in, in the surprise. No, and I, I think it's a good aspect of what you talked about. I don't think people really remember his personnel background. But it is interesting from a standpoint – I'm, t- I'm sure he would tell you. I haven't asked him, but I'm sure his ability to oversee an entire roster, see it for what it is, and then also he has a special teams background, as you know, Murph. Like, right. if you're a special teams guy, you can't just look at your – I mean, usually they kind of pair up a special teams tight ends. You can't just be looking at your tight ends room, or if you're a special teams guy and you have the DBs, which usually isn't a thing, you can't just be looking at one position group. Whereas right. just from managing a roster before, you have a lot of coaches – who just kind of see their room, but man, can I get one more spot? I don't feel as good. Whereas Hartley's probably one of those guys that's like, I see the roster is one through 85, not just my tight end room, one through five or six. Like, right. I, I feel like that kind of gives him a unique perspective. Just like when they're kind of talking about coaches in the NFL, kind of a lot of them look for special teams backgrounds because the guy looks at the roster every position and just said, hey, this guy's only been on defense. So I think that kind of gives Todd Hartley uh, an advantage that I think a lot of people don't really know that he was actually running a recruiting department at Marshall at one point and uh, at Georgia. Right. And, and you know, he's a Georgia guy kind of through and through and through. And I think he's from Georgia and right down yeah, the street, maybe yeah. the GA stint and went up to Marshall, came back. Um, so he's, you know, he's a Georgia guy and, and, uh, you know, for him to go full circle and end up, you know, follow kind of his probably boyhood dude and, and Coach Rick and the guy that he probably can kind of owe his career to, to follow him to Miami and then come back full circle and end up back in Athens is, is super cool uh, to watch. All right, Mark. So we've, we're not hiding it anymore who we're evaluating. You kind of quote tweeted my um, kind of my tweet of previewing the show tonight before we really got started. You called it a freaks list. I mean, it. I would say these are some between Doriel Green Beckham freak, uh, Kyle Pitts freak, Miles Garrett freak. This is probably our freak episode on Scout School. I mean, I mean, perfect timing too because I got. I think Bruce Feldman's about to come out with his freaks list here any day. So just some kind of thoughts on just initial surface level of us evaluating some of these guys before we get into Doriel being Green Beckham. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know, I think as the the draft has gotten more and more coverage over the year and there's more mock draft you know if you, you when we were growing up it was you know maybe mel kuyper and then here comes todd mcshay uh and then you know here you know walter football's out there on the internet if, if you really care you know for stuff like that but you know you you've seen over the years the intrigue and the in uh increased focus towards the draft and, and kind of what's all come with that and and you know, with that has been more of a knowledge of the height, weight, speed uh, element and, and and kind of, you know, what we're looking for in the draft and how it translates to the evaluation system and what that means, you know, for a scout in terms of what you're looking for. So, you know, I think 
probably the easiest part of most, you know, evals is the height, weight, speed, you know, the height, weight, speed, because it's just, uh, it's, it's, you know, visible right in front of you. It's tangible. It's how fast is he? Four, three, two, right? Four, four, four. It's numbers, it's length, it's data. Uh, and, and as, as people have gotten more comfortable uh, getting exposed to vertical jump and broad jump and wingspan, you know, as the NFL network has become a thing within itself. And now we have a whole, you know, weeks and weeks leading up the draft where, you know, a lot of that conversation becomes a lot more normalized. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think for us as, as talent evaluators or as scouts or whatever you want to call it, you know, one of the, the easiest thing to see is length, right? Is your body composition. What do you look like? Uh, off the hoof you know that's that's the that's the first thing everybody's going to see um whenever you meet anybody whether you're an athlete whether you're just a regular person the first thing you're going to notice is the way that somebody looks that's the first thing you know you, you gravitate towards so you know when you talk about these three guys they all kind of have different paths a little bit um kind of all in their own right kind of had you know their 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 spot in the in the in the, in the spotlight uh, where they were kind of the main person, kind of in different ways. Kyle Pitts had a little bit of a slower recruitment, maybe than a than a Miles Garrett, um, but then goes on to be you know number four overall pick. Miles Garrett's number one overall pick. Dorian Green Beckham starts out you know, number one guy in high school, and you know he kind of has some off the field stuff, but still goes on to be you know productive in the NFL for for a time period. So I think for us, you know, just just seeing people who who stand out amongst people who already stand out right and these guys of a height weight speed length uh from looking at high school prospects they are in the upper echelon of what these guys look like uh in terms of prospects I mean, absolutely like there's we even i mean we've done six in total this is our third episode of doing it because we uh people we were on vacation last week this is the one that i'm kind of like yeah there's no there's no denying it's it's kind of like you can always it's always the old adage my wife could tell me this kid's pretty good. Like, I right. mean, these were three just genetic, just complete freaks, in my opinion. Um, but let's get to it. Let me share the screen. Let's get right to our guy, Doriel Green Beckham. Okay. So where I right, so let's walk me through. Where were you when he was coming out? Were you were we at Georgia together? Where were we? What year is this? Well, he's a class 2012. I was still in college. As crazy as that sounds. I was still in college. Okay. So I'm not, uh, that was I'm my, not working in football yet. Okay. Yep. So we're both. You can you see this, Murph? You good? I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. All right. So we're starting it off. Doral Green Beckham. I was still in college, but I remember it. I remember right. He kind of came down to um, who was it? It's it really Missouri the whole way. I mean, he's from a yeah. Springfield. I mean, let's get let's get to it right now. I mean, Doral Green Beckham, wide receiver. I said at the 2012 class, measured at a high school 6'6", 200 from Hillcrest High School in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, so. Kind of just a Missouri kid that they – I mean, you know, it's, it's always weird, Murphy. You tell me. I feel like Missouri's always done a pretty good job randomly enough. And I feel like Eli Drinkwitz, a lot of people want to pick on him, developing quarterbacks, getting the offense ready, whatever it is. But they've recruited well. And he's kept a lot of the big kids in in state, guys like Luther Burden from St. Louis. I feel like they've always kind of got kept their big guy in state. But yeah. it always seems to be like a receiver, a big-time vertical threat for him. And, I mean – I mean, you talked about it today. I mean, Doral Green Beckham had a pretty good college career. I remember him kind of dominating the 2013 SEC championship when the, uh, when Missouri and Auburn were going back and forth against each other. I think if Missouri wins that game, they're playing in the last BCS national championship game against Florida State. I think we forget about that at times, but he's a big part of that. James Franklin was the quarterback. Doral Green Beckham. I mean, 
you're right. Like he towards the end before he ended up transferring, this dude was a freak. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, granted, he's not playing great competition, but look how strong this guy is. His balanced body control. I mean, nobody's taking. I mean, I know this is a highlight tape, but I mean, imagine the eval tape kind of looks the exact same. Got the initial burst. Just a big, thick kid. I mean, <laughs> I was watching it earlier, and I was just like, dude, I, I I totally forgot about this high school. I'd seen it, but it looked familiar. But it. You just forget how dominant. Again, I don't think it's great competition, but again, just he has traits. It's just like, yeah, I mean, I can't teach that. And credit to this offensive coordinator, whoever it is at Hillcrest High School back in 2012. We're probably not watching the show, but typically after you, you didn't make it complicated. We, we ran a bunch of wide receiver screens, the best athlete on the field, and just got the ball in his hand. I salute you, tip of the cap. Yeah, well, you know, I think the big thing that I think that we need to always kind of re- reiterate with this, you know, what the show is, is, is is so much as we're trying to look back at what made great players great or good players great and what kind of distinguished them uh enough for us to be talking about them what 11 years later 13 years later or whatever it is um and you know for for somebody like this i think the really easy thing to say is i mean first of all first of all Six six two hundred is that's what you said, right? Yeah, about it. It was his two four seven page listed him six six two hundred. I have his combine stuff. We can get to that when you're ready for it. But six six two hundred listed in his last two four seven profile. Which again, I think the big thing that like people, I think the biggest thing with like scouting with with people overlooking this is context, right? Like if you don't understand context, you don't understand uh, the context of how you're watching so much of of what you're looking at is lost, right? Like you don't, you're yeah. not aware of how to frame what you're looking at. So where the misconception would occur, like, yeah, you're right, right? There's a lot of things you can say like, all right, yes, you know, Springfield, Missouri, probably, you know, in the, in the state of Missouri, probably solid enough ball, but in this grand scheme of the country, probably not at the upper, upper, upper echelon. It's, you know, probably fine. Um, but, you know, it's not getting tested week in, week out with guys who are going you know, to the SEC and, and, and to the NFL, stuff like that. So definitely, you know, he's not getting battle tested. But the thing that like what you're what what is impressive that you're saying is, you know, for somebody to move the way that he's moving at that size, it's not that he's just dominating because he's bigger than everybody. It's what he's able to do within, you know, his 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 frame and in his size. And then like he's doing things that guys three inches and 20 pounds lighter, four inches and 20 pounds lighter, five inches, 20 pounds, 30 pounds lighter are doing in terms of his ability to sink his weight, get upfield, uh, accelerate his burst, his, his body control, his ability to his hand-eye coordination, his ability to pull away. Like when he was coming out and that's the thing, which is unfortunate because the reality is, you know, a lot of these guys, it, it's kind of like uh, who's the newest, shiniest toy toy. You kind of forget new guy comes in, you know, history moves on, you move on. But I mean, he was getting compared to T.O. when he was yeah. coming out because of how big, fast, physical, strong, high point, hand eye, you know, all that kind of stuff. He was he was getting T.O. in terms of his comparison. You go back and throw on the tape and you see it. You see why uh, he's he's doing things that you can't teach that really like you're saying you, somebody who's never seen the sport before will pick him on their team because of how he looks. Yeah, Murph into just to show you how big of a freak he is. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Look, he was a, so he's a three-sport athlete in high school. Football, as we know, basketball and track. It's, it looks like it was his sophomore time because this is from 2010. 
his personal best 100-meter time. What would you guess? Mm. Uh, all right. I'm going to say – so he is essentially, for, for a lazy comparison, right, for the laziest comparison I can make, I will say he is a DK Metcalf that didn't make it, we'll say, for, our, for these intents and purposes. Right? Is that fair? It's fair. All right. So in terms of just body build, speed, straight line – Probably he's probably a little bit more flexible than BK. I will say a yes, I would agree. A ten, because mm, I know it's going to be weird. I don't know something weird. Ten, ten, ten five nine, ten five oh, nine. Dude, I was about to say ten eight nine. I knew it was going to be less. Dude, than ten nine. five, dude. It's six six to it. That's a that's like a, that's a freak show. And the thing is, too, you know, Coop and I will have this would have this conversation. Uh, there was a guy last year. Uh, I've heard him have this conversation. Uh, with with uh, Andrew Ivans over at two four seven Nicholas Harbor, like you, you got a guy here at six the kid six, at South two, Carolina, right, Mar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know the thing with him is is he a, is he a you know a tight end receiver? Is he a you know outside linebacker, edge, pass rusher, whatever? Like uh, Doria Green Beckham is one of those guys, one of the few guys that can legitimately play two sides of the ball at a very high level, just depending on how he would feel like. You know what I mean? Like Julio, Julio could have played safety. Julio could have played maybe linebacker. Julio, yeah. like AJ Green probably could not have played another position really, really effectively the same way Julio could have translated. Like he was a receiver playing receiver. Julio was kind of an athlete playing receiver where DGB is kind of in that same thing where he's like, if he would have focused all of his energy to being an outside linebacker, he probably could have been an all pro linebacker if he's, you know, that big, that fast, that strong, that physical, whatever, if he had focused, you know, six, seven years of, you know, development on that, you know? Yeah, and I think it goes back. You just reminded me of another guy that didn't play the position, but I think could have been really good somewhere Ooh. else. And uh, my boss, Tyler Siski, talks about it because he was the OC at St. Paul's. Then it was Mark Barron was a freak show running back. But he's like, he just oh, played yeah. say, he's like, dude, he was my running back. Like, he played running back for us. He was really good. But then – when we got another top guy, Ivan Matchett, I just moved it. We just moved him full time to safety. But he's like, before he came on and we were a little thin, he's like, he was a pretty damn good running back. Right. No, so I mean, it's like you said, it is funny. It is funny. It'd be a good list to kind of do. Uh, it'd be a good list to kind of do so, who some of these guys are, like who could have transitioned to better. It's, it's a good conversation right there. You're still talking about who, what, who could have transitioned to another position and still been a really good player, just like within right. the past five years off the top of your head. Five years? Jeez, I don't know. Um, like, I know – I've always said Julio I thought was one. Um, we had – I, I, I mean, I now you one. get a little you get a little complicated when you start talking about a guy we're about to talk – about to get on with Kyle Pitts and, like, uh, Ingram from Ole Miss. I mean, those guys could flex out to play receiver, but they were more of that hybrid tight end. I mean, that's a, that's a little different. It's usually some of those positions, like you said, that are transferable, like safety, running back. Most of those guys right. probably played at both. I mean, everybody kind of projected Derrick Henry to linebacker if running back didn't work out. Right. But, yeah, yeah, right. Um, trying to think of who else would have been. I mean, obviously, you could probably have some DBs transition to receiver. Like, those are all transitional positions, uh, I feel like, right there. And obviously, I mean, you could have some former athlete. I mean, like we're talking about Pat White, who's played at West Virginia. We all remember him. He had a shot, I think, with the Dolphins at receiver. So some of these transit, these positions you could change up and still be equally as good. I don't think there's as many of them, but it is, it's a decent conversation. I'd have to go back and look. Right. And and 
Well, I think the big thing too is so much comes down to, you know, once it's height, weight, speed, length, et cetera. But then, you know, when you start looking at defense, offense, you know, you know, trans, you know, latable, translatable attributes or whatever. It's like, yeah. Do, do you have the mental, uh, uh, kind of outlook capacity to play. a little bit yeah do, do you want to play defense is that within your outlook are you going to be a guy who can you know bang you know play after play after play and that be a part of your dna or are you a guy that's going to you know probably shy away from contact and if that's the case you're not going to make a good defender so there's guys like you remember like when cam anchors cam Akers. if you look back at cam Akers' high school tape he was a dual threat quarterback type guy a whole offense ran through him uh touched the ball every play it's like know. a wildcat offense, dang near. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It was Ronnie Brown in high school, pretty much. Um, <clears throat> and he would just run over people, just head to head, you know, just just as fast as he could, low to the ground, thick legs, would just run over people as often as he could and, and would seek out contact. And he's a guy that's like, hey, if push comes to shove, if we need to put Cam Akers in at nickel, uh, you know, DB or, or playing safety or playing some kind of like cover linebacker or whatever. I don't think the coaches on his Clinton team would have hesitated for a second. There is not, you can't do that with everybody. Right. So there are certain players where you can see kind of just by the way they play offense, where they play special teams, like you can see whether or not their mentality is going to translate or whether or not they're better off just kind of sticking to the role they got, you know, they're, they're already playing. Yeah. And Murph, I think you bring up a good point about disposition from a DA. I feel like that's something in staff meetings and me and Siski always laugh about it when we're doing a demo for people at Quick U. Athlete tag, you know, everybody used to have the athlete tag they put under people. Remember, it's just mm-hmm. what position does he play? You know, athlete. Like, I feel like that kind of, I feel like that's where like, guys want to die because who's, who's recruiting the athlete? Like, right. like, nobody ever recruited him. So I think it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, we say he's an athlete, and in my experience, we never really had these conversations where it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, coach, if running back didn't work out, maybe he could play linebacker. It's like, yeah, but does he have the disposition to go play? Like, it's easy to say, yeah, he's got right. the size, he's got the speed, but does he want to go hit somebody? Right. A lot of those guys don't. It's like you said, that's not – did Derrick Henry have the disposition to go play linebacker? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I never talked to Derek Henry that about talking to you. I mean, he seeks some right. time. It's, he still seeks contact out on offense. But it's, as you know, dude, it's totally different playing linebacker. You, you're almost the hunter more so. You're just going to seek it. I know he does too, but it is interesting. Those conversations in recruiting rooms and recruiting staff meetings with full-time coaches is, hey, like, what is the dis- disposition of this kid? Is, is, he, is he interested in playing defense? Well, and I think the thing is too is like the guys we're looking at, in this capacity are um, they're like the 1%, right? We're within the, we're, we're looking at guys who are from the 1% of the 1% of recruits. Remember, this and, is the freaks episode, everybody. Yeah, the, well, even just in general, who, whoever yeah. we look at, it's, it's going to be guys who are worth the 1%. Yeah. Yeah. Revisiting and talking about, and even within that, you can kind of nitpick them and kind of go through them and kind of see like, Oh, look like, you know, like, you can see how much the off-field stuff and how much stuff other than just their talent plays a role in this overall thing. Because you can put on Doyle Green Beckham's tape, and you and I can both say, yeah, he's he's is every bit as good as DK Metcalf was coming out. Yeah, DK is the one with the whatever contract in the league, and DGB hasn't been heard or seen from in years. So, you know, it's just it's, it's interesting because – so much is the the athletic and the physical and the freak aspect, but after that, it's like yeah, there's a lot of guys who can who can 
cover a lot of ground and catch up to guys who are freakier than them from their you know mental stuff. But when you compare the two together and get the the the, the athletic freak with the guy who's got his mental you know head on right, that's where things can get ready to take off because most of the time the the athletic freaks may get it right sometimes get it right for a period of time but if their if their mental you know outlook isn't right uh they're not going to be consistent enough to carve out a full career as they should have and looking at dgb it's like man it's it's, it's you know you kind of like what could have been you know yeah and going back to dgb some so he was that he committed to missouri when gary pinkle was the head coach everybody remembers gary pinkle. hello when, when dgb was there they were winning back-to-back sec east titles uh, so they won it in twelve. They won it in thirteen and fourteen. Um, I'm trying to think who were kind of some why he went there. Who were the big time receiver schools then? Now, I mean, everybody kind of talks now like Ohio State, Alabama's kind of receive like schools that kind of produce big time receivers. Now, back then, I'm trying to think. I mean, you didn't sling the ball around as much as I mean. Baylor was kind of ahead at the time then. Baylor had been somebody back then, but I'm trying to think other than that. There really wasn't anybody that was – I mean, Urban Meyer was just about to go to Ohio State. Uh, I'm trying to think other than that, who – I know they they go recruit St. Louis. Happy. I'm trying to think who else would have been influenced. But I think, again, it goes back to randomly enough, Missouri will just keep a top kid in state, and it's tough to get him out of there more so than some other states where you go plug it. But, again, uh, he was dismissed from Missouri, transferred to Oklahoma, never played at Oklahoma, tried to get an appeal to NCAA, declined it. Uh, ended up being a 40, the 40th pick in the second round by the Tennessee Titans, traded to Philadelphia in 2016, and has been waived since. But again, one of one of the, going back, I was I forgot how good he was at high school. I knew it, but when we and you were talking about who we were going to talk about on this episode of Scout School, going back and watching it, I was like, God, dude, this guy's a freak. Right. And then you look at his track times and just his overall. Ooh. I mean, he shouldn't be doing that. No, no, three sport athlete. Running a 10 five at six six two hundred is insane. Um, yeah, I think he was a sophomore or junior at the time, which is crazy. So, yeah, right, it's, no, it's you could finish, finish up on Dora if you got anything else. No, 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 just it's interesting to see because I, I had forgotten too and watching him. It's like, man, this guy is an animal out here. What in the world, you know? So, so going to our second guy, Kyle Pitts, everybody remembers more recent guy than DGB. Tight end for the 2018 class, measured 6'5 and a half, 235 out of high school, um, Archbishop Wood High School in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Uh, obviously, went to the University of Florida, really developed those last two years. Uh, I actually know the tight ends coach who was there within the year he won the Mackey, all American kid, kind of had some swag to him from texting him a little bit today about him. Tim Brewster is the guy, obviously, he's a tight ends coach now at Colorado with Prime. But again, Kyle Pitts, just another kind of freak show, kind of the hybrid tight end, Evan Ingram type guys that are flexed out. Murph, anything to add before we get into the film with Pitts? The thing with him, though, that makes him a freak is that, like, so Evan Ingram was coming out of what, Hillgrove or uh, Harrison? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Joy, right. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. right when I got to Georgia. But, you know, Evan Ingram is kind of a, a weird distribution and that he's like, what, six, two and a half? Like, two. That's six. what I'm saying. He's not like, they're both the hybrid, but a little bit slight. Uh, yeah, stretched out hybrid that's yeah, he'll grow 240, 66, 240, whatever he is, 65, 240 coming out. Um, no, I, you know, it's weird. You know, we we had uh, we had Pitts come down for a visit when we were at Georgia. Um, you know, he was he was tight with Swift and Mark Webb, um, being from Pennsylvania, yeah, both yeah, kids from Pennsylvania, yeah, who Georgia both signed two of those three guys. Um, 
I don't remember exactly what you know because Georgia. Well, you know, actually, you know, Georgia had had a uh, Georgia historically growing up had had a good history of tight ends. All you know, a lot of dudes that come through Ben Watson and Artie uh, Lynch. Yeah, Lynch and Martrez Milner even was a guy that did some Jermaine Wiggins and you know like they they Georgia put you know dudes. Um, what was our big guy's name? Murph Leonard Pope. Pope, yeah. Um, you know Georgia had go guys go to the league, but I think you know Georgia forever was traditional blocking, run the ball, guys. You know I remember when twelve John, personnel. Yeah, when John Lilly was there, it was you know you kind you kind of get two to three different types of tight ends like. Each year, you're trying to kind of build that, you know, roster, that basketball roster. Like, hey, this guy's a little bit split out. This guy's more traditional. This guy's maybe a hybrid. And Georgia with the offense, you know, you tend to err towards more. Uh, if you're going to pick more of a receiver or an offensive lineman, they went more on the offensive lineman side of tight end. So it makes sense why Kyle Pitts went to Florida in terms of how Florida used their tight ends, how the guys got out in space. You know, it's, it's probably an easy sell to – to do, you know, probably Aaron Hernandez at the time, you know, coming out and, and just saying like, you know, this is the guy that got the ball and ran after it uh, coming from Florida. wasn't just your tradition. And it's like you said, Murph, with Aaron Hernandez, Mullins, the head coach, he was the OC then. He can sell that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not like he just was our school. I actually was the OC here when he went to school here. Right. And it's just, you know, you look at Pitts' body type right out the gate. You know, he doesn't – he's not – even with you know six five two forty, he looks lean, right? He doesn't look like a guy that's going to be on the line of scrimmage, you know, holding up against Trent Thompson or holding Just a up burst explosion. I mean, ooh, yeah, it's great. And, and again, I'm not saying that he can't do that, but it just takes time. And, and traditionally, he's probably going to be flexed out more and take advantage of his his size, speed more so than like lean into his strengths as opposed to making this guy a blocker more often. Yes. Yeah. Murph, two things stick out to me right off the film. You're about to see it in a minute because I've watched this. He played – I mean, you were just talking about, like, transitional positions. He plays defense here, DN, outside linebacker here in a bit. And then also the thing I noticed, you know, a lot of the stuff they ran here, just like his little crossing routes or their middle screens, you, I remember Florida using a lot of that just to get him the ball and said, like, hey, let's don't overcomplicate this. Let's don't go – we don't have to go stretch – seam hit him 35 40 yards on the let's just on a middle screen get the ball in his hands he's a massive dude burst again one of those freak shows that shouldn't be moving like this at this size like that's so right I, yeah there it is right. yeah and 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 that's the thing and i got sidetracked trying to say it earlier was context matters so much here like you you hear six five two forty guys dominating most people are like yeah what do you expect that's what he's supposed to be doing the thing is just how he does it. He like like you said, his his initial quickness, his burst, his fluidity, his the ability to dip that height and weight with the fluidity and the smoothness that he can do it, and to, to then separate to 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 then pull away to to jump, you know, all of it is is you get why he's the number four overall pick in the draft because. You don't see people with those dimensions able to do that. No, and then going, I mean, we'll go back to DGB's NFL Combine stuff before we get out of here. But for Pitts, I mean, so he was listed at a high school, 6'5 and a half, 235. At the Combine, he was 6'6, 245, 10 and 5'8 hand. And then he didn't run, if I remember right, at the Combine, but ran an unofficial 4'4, 4'4, or 4'4, 4'40 at Florida's Pro Day. 
Yeah. Which is just, nuts. And then was the fourth overall draft pick in 21 by the Falcons. I mean, he's putting up Calvin Johnson. I mean, he's basically Calvin Johnson out there in terms of how he tested. And in the crazy thing is, like, if you're if you're really like listing up your height, weight, you know, all your measurables, he was basically that in high school. So you say he was six, yeah. six, two forty, whatever. Six five and a half, two thirty five, and he was two forty five at the combine. Yeah, he gave nine, you know, nine or ten pounds in college. But you basically have the number four overall pick, who's still kind of in his baby deer phase here a little, little bit. This like you can see, he's still kind of putting it all together. He's, he's he's a little awkward at times, a little, you know, he's still growing, going into his body. But the the clay and the tool, like this type stuff, um, just the ability to catch, get up, feel, burst uh, at his height, weight, you know, to do so with the the, the speed in which he's doing it uh, is really incredible. And really, it's almost like the practice we need to do is like almost like that joke people make about the Olympics, like put a regular guy running, you know, doing the Olympic trials next to Olympic people so people can understand the context of what they're watching. Like, let's put a normal 6'6", 240-pounder out here and show people what that looks like to show them how different what this is, you know, actually is comparatively to what most people were able to do. No, actually, I mean, his tape's a blast to watch. Like you said, I mean, we're getting DN outside linebacker film right here as well. And I think it's, again, like I said, some of the offensive stuff you saw him run in Florida with Mullen. No, he was a, he's an overall fun watch. I totally I wasn't in Georgia there with you all the time, but I, that's interesting. Yeah, that I mean that makes sense. He came in on a visit with Swift and uh, yeah. Mark Webb. Yeah, he was there. I think I uh, I think I found the itinerary a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, you know he was there as a good visit. I just I think at the time, um, and you know actually I kind of respected it too. It was like, I mean, know, who were the tight ends then for Georgia? Murph was it Charlie Warner and Isaac Nada? It was in that era. So, yeah, I mean, it probably was, yeah. Um, either they were that class or we were recruiting them or they had just gotten there. Uh, Jackson Harris was, was yeah, there. Yeah, Jackson Harris, yeah. Um, you know, it was guys like that. Uh, Jeb Blazevich was already going, I Jeb, think, wasn't he? Jeb Blazevich may have been on the roster, though. Um, you know, like you said, Arthur Lynch is kind of that mold of a guy that they kind of looked for. So, you know, it, it was traditionally a thicker, trended more to an old lineman and less to a receiver. Uh, Pitts, you know, it made – and I respected what he did because he, he was coming down and he didn't get wide-eyed and just go, I'm going to go where my friends are going. Or I'm gonna, like, he went to a place that – I mean, he did stuff at Florida that Georgia at the time wasn't doing with tight ends, and it propelled him to the number four overall pick. So, um you know, cool to see a, a trio of friends from a similar region in, in Philly all come to the South and all end up in the NFL, you know, in different places together. So that's pretty cool. Murphy, who was the OC? Was that that was Cheney or um, Coley? One of them. I wasn't there when Coley was the OC. It was either so it must have been Cheney, who I think is going to be a total that nobody talks about, and I think a lot of people forget. I think he's going to be an X factor on A and M staff. I mean, he, I mean, he's an offensive analyst. But I mean, think of you got Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino, and Jim Cheney all in the same offensive staff. It's a lot of it's a lot of knowledge in that in that one room. We'll see uh, who who you know, huh? Yeah, you throw in Steve Adazio with it too. You had a bunch of former head coaches all in one staff room. What all right, so and I know y'all were just talking about it prior. Like what's how old is Jimbo? 50s, mid 50s, mid. So he's he's Let's he's see. in. He's not he's not going anywhere. 
No, Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher's not going to USC. I don't Jimbo mean like Fisher. he's he's in the sport for a while. Okay, fifty-seven. Yep. Right, yeah, so he's in it. Okay, so Jimbo is any kind of post whatever's not on the horizon. What happens if that just implodes? What what happens? I mean, I think they got to get. I, I think A&M's got to get to nine wins this year. I think they have to get to nine wins. If they don't, dude. From talking to him, it wouldn't be crazy if they went and won nine, ten games this year, and then Bobby Petr- Bobby Petrino gets another head coaching job or somewhere. I that wouldn't be totally shocking. I mean, he left Missouri State, but I think this gives him another chance to maybe, hey, like this looks like I came in and saved the day, kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, who will, who's the common denominator of us turning it around on offense? Oh. Bobby Petrino, like, I mean, he's like, to be heard, nobody's going to give Jimbo credit. I mean, they may give him credit for giving up play calling, but like, at the end of the day, if they are successful, win nine or 10 games, that means they were good on offense. And that means it's going to trickle down to Bobby Petrino. Like, I mean, that's who's going to get the credit, whether it's, whether Jim well, Chaney throws some ideas. In. What if they're not? Can they fire him? Can they do Jimbo? that? Yet? Yeah. Are we at a place where he's fireable yet? I mean, I think they would. I think they could raise enough money to get it done there for sure. Like, it depends how bad. Oh, is it eight win, eight and four? Because I think they got to get to nine. And what does that eight and four look like? Is it seven and five, six and six? And yeah, I think you're gonna have some people like, yeah, dude, I'm not seeing the progress. I mean, at this point, it's like I say on the show all the time. Like, their talent is gonna catch up with them in a. You usually say that in a negative way about teams. The talent's gonna catch up with them. The, the talent's gonna catch up to them in a good way. It should this year. All those. Top three classes they signed are all juniors now. They should be good. They have depth on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you you had to tell me three, like two elevator pitch as to why A&M underachieved the last two years, what is it? Like two sentences. Why are they underachieved and what's the quick fix? No consistent quarterback play. Haynes King did not turn out to be. I think in the 2019 class they signed Haynes King. Uh, from Longview, checked all the box, coach's kid, athlete, good down, kind of got some deer in headlights when he got to college, ne- had some injuries, never could overcome it. I think it's Connor Wigman's time to shine. But again, I think quarterback and also last year, they couldn't stop the run to save their life. Like defensively, they were bad. I think they kind of out schemed themselves a little bit. I think they, I think with so much talent, I think sometimes you have so much talent, especially on defense, you can't make your guys. That's why I kind of like Kevin Steele at defense. He doesn't make it complicated. He lets the athletes go play. I think from what I've heard, they're not going to be as complicated on defense this year with DJ Durkin in his second year as defense coordinator, and they're going to let their guys play a little bit. I think he stunted, uh, did some stuff a little too much. He was like, dude, come on, man. We're like, we signed like four or five stars on the defensive line. Let's just go let them play. Like, so I think so- I think they'll be better. I think they did some sell. I think they did some self scout defensively, and they'll be better for it. So we're we're saying A and M has failed to live up up to expectations the past two years because miss evals at the quarterback position and overcomplicating the defense. Probably like just in your opinion, I think last year specifically because last year was Durkin's first year at DC. Because two years ago, Mike Elko was the DC and been there the whole time with Jimbo, and he left to go get the Duke head job. They did. They went to bowl game, won their bowl game, great. So last year was Durkin's first job. So defensively, in the last two years, I can't really blame it all on the defense because you've had two different coordinators. So this year will be a big year for Durkin, but I think for Jimbo a little bit, it's just and going back to I mean, this is an obvious one. I think everybody states this. Gotta get a little bit more creative on offense, man. I and I think Bobby Petrino and guys like Jim Chaney being in that room, if we can put some egos down, 
There's a lot of egos in it. And again, I always throw Steve Adazi on there. That guy's been a head coach at what Colorado State and Boston College and Temple. He's been a head coach too. I think if we can put the egos aside, they got probably the best wide receiver room in. I think right now, at least your starters in the league in the SEC right now. I think we. Do you can, think they can in, put the egos aside? They can all put the, the offensive staff between Jimbo, Bobby Petrino, Steve Adazio, and people keep forgetting Jim Chaney. He's not a full-time coach, but he's an analyst. Uh, they can put Damian Craig. If they can put those egos to the side, everyone come, bring good ideas together. I mean, Bobby Petrino was a great quarterback developer, did a great job at Arkansas offensively. I think they have the talent. They have the offensive minds. If they can just get it all going on the same page, I think they'll be good. I also think sometimes a little bit they missed on some of the character stuff. Again, I think that's something we, every team misses on. We all get enamored with the old perception. Oh, we got this high four-star, high five-star, whatever it be. But it's like, yeah, we may get that publicity for that 24 hours, whatever it be, on signing day. Yay, we so we moved up their team rankings. But you got to go deal with that guy if he's a turd for the next 364 days. So I think sometimes we get caught up with that. I get it. At certain schools in the SEC, signing day with the fan bases is like another game. Teams want to see themselves win on signing day. It's like another game. So I get it a little bit. But also, too, let's let's just don't get prisoners in the moment, get fired up for that one day, but we're going to have to deal with this kid for 364 days after. Right, right. Well, no, it'll be – because really, you know, I'm I'm just more interested um, as an unbiased – you know, I just like to – I just like to kind of see what the, the, the you know, temperature of the water is and what people are saying and what the reasoning is because – now, obviously, a and recruited, you know, incredibly well the last couple of years. And uh, even going back to the Sumlin era, you know, of, of the Texas schools, they've kind of been the more, you know, hot team, you know, outside of the RPA. Yeah. You know, Sarkeesian kind of little buzz that got. Um, they've been Perfect. the hottest team, huh? Yeah, I want to ask you a question off what you kind of just asked me, piggybacking. And I've always – I said this before you even got on the show when I was introduced – when we were going to do scout school. So I was talking about missed on character evals. I feel like that happens a lot in the SEC. But I always, like I said, going in, I was always a little always a little jealous of you because I always liked how Washington went about their process. They didn't just offer kids – y'all are usually what, Murph? At the end of the day, when a signing class is done, you go to 247 and Washington would offer, what, 68 kids, 65 kids maybe in total in one class? Like, ballparking it was something like that was that yeah. not but yeah. the question i'm kind of getting to what was y'all's process i mean i know chris peterson's retired you don't have to go into full details if you don't want but what was kind of the process of like going through the character check because i was listening to him on move the sticks the other day his interview chris peterson and they were kind of beating around the bush and he was straight up he kind of interrupted him he's like no if we had any concerns of them not fitting in from a character standpoint i didn't care what they looked like on the field that was the first and i feel like a lot of schools may say that but don't really live it or preach it and i feel like from talking to you cooper guys that have worked in the building with chris peterson i mean he he actually lived that if they were not a they didn't check the character box or whatever the other uh criteria would be to get a washington husky offer it didn't matter what you did on the field so for the listeners myself i'm intrigued like what were kind of the character stuff y'all would roll through that would kind of make a red flag would y'all talk to the player host off ovs and stuff like kind of how they fit into the squad yeah um yeah, I mean, I don't think – the thing is, like, there wasn't any um, any big secret. I think he just – basically what you said, because our numbers were low, um, it allowed us to have very deliberate, very thorough, um, you know, research. It, it was all just, like, it, it's, 
it could probably be explained in a lot of different ways if you really break it down. But like we had a lot like the West Coast, Seattle, University of Washington, Coach Pete, there's a lot of filters that keep getting dropped in, right? And it gets it gets those filters make it a lot easier um to recruit and narrow focus. So, you know, in terms of where where we were located in Seattle, we're about as far removed in this country as possible right we're, we're far away to get to us for most people is a little bit of a push so uh inversely to get out is a little bit of a push for our coaches to cover ground to formulate relationships to get to know people it's a push and and what a push equates to is money right when you have to go far you got to spend more when you got to spend more it adds up and you, when it adds up you can't spend it elsewhere so all of that is an exercise in being efficient and recruiting efficiently and, and recruiting uh, in a way that matches um, where we are and what we're doing and how we're doing it. So basically everything's moving in the same direction, right? It doesn't make any sense for us to be recruiting down in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, if we're up in Seattle, because us, our ability to get down to Atlanta, to create relationships, to create consistent relationships, to create consistent enough relationships to fend off Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, Clemson, Miami. It, 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 while we're up here, does that make any sense? It's, it's so Pete was really good about um, being uh, smart about that and being efficient and not just, uh, you know, not just shooting from the hip. We had uh, uh, very much so a system. So, you know, add that filter in, add the GPA. Going back to your original question, the GPA was the biggest thing, you know, having scale of a GPA because GPA you know, represented some kind of understanding of, of big picture uh, goals and large picture accolades. UW in itself was a hard school to get into. So that became like a prerequisite where if you didn't have certain grades, you couldn't even get in anyway. So there's no there's no reason for us to even waste time, even if you are a great player. So we had a lot of, of, of kind of filters built in, the location, uh, UW being an academic school, Pete's understanding of academia, uh, to to uh, character, to motivation, to effort, all that was very much understood. Uh, and really, it's just, you know, like you said, if we have low numbers, if you know, we, we were big area recruiters, so by being area recruiters, uh, and the big thing that I think goes overlooked with Pete's staff a lot of time is the consistency, right? So he worked with the same guys for a long period of time in, 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 the, in the relative scheme of college football continuity. His staff was very... Uh, intact for a number of years. And when your staff is intact for a number of years, you can build trust uh, amongst each other and you can build trust uh, outside of the, of the building as well, especially when, you know, the results are coming in. It's a time where you dubs performing, playing well, putting dude in the league. Uh, we're going to near six bowls. So there's a little bit of like trust that, Hey, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, you know, so when those coaches are on the road, they're going back to the same schools over and over and over and over for two, three, four, five, six, seven years, whatever it is. That homework is done not through some secret. It's just real. It's just we know who we're recruiting because we've been recruiting them, the same kids with the same coaches and the same relationships for four or five years. So I don't think there's any there was never any secret thing. It was just kind of. We have small numbers. We actually use the relationships that we have. We have continuity, which allows us to give, you know, better insight. Uh, we, we, Pete, very much so understood that it was all going to catch up at some point, one, you know, one way or another. You know, he he was there, 
you know, right when Marcus Peters was going through his deal and he kicked Marcus Peters off the team. Marcus Peters is, you know, all pro, pro bowl, whatever it is, first round talent. But if it's just if it's not a mesh, uh, it's not it's nobody saying, hey, you're not good enough to play here. It's just like you don't fit with what we're doing and no offense, but you're probably just better off somewhere else. And it's not worth the headache on both of them. You know, there's some people that don't care. Go there, you know. Yeah. And I think you're right from a standpoint of it sounded like from talking to people who'd worked there under Chris Peterson before, it started and it sounds crazy. And I think a lot of people from the outside world that have never worked in college football would, are going to make well, no kidding, dude, from what I said. But it's like it starts at the top all the way down. So we've all kind of worked in departments. I mean, I feel like you've worked in two great ones. But from a standpoint of like it came from Chris Peterson. It came from Pete. Like, Hey, this is our process. Yeah. It's going to be a little slow. Tell them to deal with it. But like when they do get an offer from us, it's committable. So right. yeah, it's not just some offer you're getting from the assistant DPP, Johnny Joe over here. And I've never hey, talked I was to Johnny him. Joe back in the day. Easy. easy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, no, you're hundred percent right. But it started, it sounds like you said, you said the staff continuity, you don't see that anymore. I mean, essentially these coaches are one year mercenaries, two year mercenaries is unheard of. Like, so many guys are changing jobs now. It's almost like the portal with some of the kids. But you're right. I think the staff continuity, going back to Boise State, everyone knowing how y'all conduct business and being on the same page. And the last question before we move on to uh, Miles Garrett, last one. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. How do you think Pete, just got to think he's one of the more intriguing coaches in a while, just because like culture, just like Jake Crane said, it's an often, it's an overused term, but it's so important. How do you, how do you think he would have, or if he would have, how do you think he would have, adjusted his day-to-day operations or his overall just program if he did go take a job at Tennessee or Florida and was in the SEC every day? Like, how do you think he would have fit in to those programs into this league in the SEC from his process? From his process, Because I think right now no one really has a process like Chris Peterson or really ever has had a process like Chris Peterson and worked in the SEC. It's been thorough and kind of slow. But when you do get that offer, hey, they're, they're recruiting you, man. It's a real offer. Um, I think, uh, so I think Pete has a very specific personality. Um, he doesn't like being a target. So he doesn't like being in a place where everybody's watching him already. So that was something like when, you know, he doesn't take the USC job, he, you know, he turns down certain jobs. Like he wouldn't want Florida, Florida's everybody's waiting for Florida, right? You know, Florida's coming. He wants maybe Arkansas, right? He wants places that are a little off the beaten path. Niche. Yeah. And he, like, he likes to lie in the weeds is what he'd say. So he, he, he likes to, he likes to be kind of dowdy. He likes to be overlooked. It's a competitive advantage that he likes to use, you know, you know, y'all worry <clears> about that. You worry about the big word. Don't worry about little old us up here. In, in, in Seattle and the dog weather, Southern cows where you need to worry. They, they're the ones that have all – or go to Oregon. They got all the flashy jerseys. Don't worry about us. Yeah. So he, he very much so likes to lie in the weeds. Um, I do not think he would compromise his approach. I do think he would need to acquiesce a little bit. I mean, you know, why he got out of the industry is for where he was headed, right? You have a guy who – Loved football, loved, you know, being around guys and molding men and, and being, you know, a lifelong mentor and having a lifelong role. And as things start to become more about money and compensation and 
and what goes into recruiting and how quick it can flip and how, you know, it's just things sort of changing so quick. I don't think this version of football is his deal. Um, I don't think where it, it's headed his deal just because he loses so much of his impact. Uh, I think he could be like a high school coach. I think he would do a phenomenal job because I think they would give him the ability to get back to doing what he actually gets in it to do. Um, but in terms of his approach, I think he would he would just, you know, expand it a little bit, just like we would use the portal more. We'd have to have, you know, a collective understanding with the top down, like, you know, Jake was saying with, you know, you need the administration, you need everybody top down on the same page. You need the money going in the right places. You need the support in the right places. So he would go somewhere where he had the support, somewhere that gave him time, someone that didn't pressure him to be somebody he wasn't. Don't don't make me keep up with the Joneses because that's not what you're hiring. You're hiring me to be me, not to be them. So he would go somewhere where he had time to do his deal. But I, I think it would be an integrated blend of you know NIL with the boosters and the money because he's smart. He's not anti it. I just don't think he wants to do it, you know. So he he would know that it's necessary. Uh, yeah. He would know it's a part of the deal. Um, but he, he would go in a place where he could lie in the weeds. Probably the scholarships would probably uptick from maybe 65, 75 to maybe 115, 120. They maybe have to go a little bit more just with how crazy and chaotic and, and whatever things are. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it, it would be just – I think it would largely be a uh, expanded – um more loose more liberal version of what we were doing but not i don't think he would come out here and just be throwing offers upset the whole system because the system worked uh it just needs to be maybe fine-tuned for where football is these days yeah that's interesting though you said a good part like you think he'd like to lie in the weeds or the school at like arkansas like you said not said florida and tennessee because i feel like those were always the jobs they've they came open when his name was kind of hot and he was his name was always mentioned in it i'm sure right he got reached out to. I mean, there's always rumors he turned down the Tennessee job. So, in obviously you working for him, I just want to kind of your insight how you think he would adjust it. And I, I don't think there's ever been a guy like him in the SEC because now maybe going into it, people thought they were, but then oh, we, we're going to go off or crazy. I mean, the only other guy, me and Jake talked about it that I've never worked with this guy either, but he's currently at Florida. Is Billy Napier kind of seems like a process oriented guy, but now people are a little worried. Is he ever going to get enough time now with kind of college football with the way these guys are paid? as fast as people want to – as with the transfer portal and how fast you can get better instantly. I, yeah. it, it's, I don't know if he gets enough time now in general. Where it's like me and him, Jake were talking about. It used to be you used to get four or five years guaranteed. Eh, now you're getting two or three years. Yeah. It's, it's – and that's the thing too. You know, even culturally, Southeast, Southern – you know, Southeastern Conference, Southern part of the country, being at Florida, it's different expectations than it is being in the Pac-12 is different than it is being at Washington, being at, you know, in Washington within its own right has high expectations on the West coast, but those aren't where Florida is, you know? So, you know, it's just all relative to where you are, but um, yeah, no, it's true. Like, I don't know that Napier is going to have enough time, you know? And and I think, you know, a couple of years ago, his approach would be good. He's, and he's having to rebuild an entire culture and put his own guys in and start over and, weed out the old stuff but now when your direct competitor is recruiting as good as any team ever in what george is doing and winning natties your fan base and your alumni and your money is going to be impatient regardless if you know you and i say he needs 
more time, you know, they want results. And then the problem, and then Murphy's, you know, the problem you always see too, dude, is like the reports coming out about like, why isn't Florida and more kids out of the, why aren't they out of, on the transfer portal kids quicker? And it got leaked out. Some kid, one of the kids at the portal was like, uh, they said they still needed to watch my film. And that got out to their fans. And they were all like, well, why are we too slow? We got our director of scouting evaluating. He's evaluating too slow. You should have these evals. I, I think sometimes in the instant gratification world of social media, and again, I think they hold it against how much these guys make a year, transfer portal, you can get better quicker. I think people are like, I mean, what are we doing? Like, you know, I, you know what I mean? These fans have less patience, just like you're saying, from a standpoint of, like, all right, when you're hired, cool, man, we got this massive staff. We got this cool process. But when you're coming off a six and six, six, six and seven season after a bowl game and Oregon State just whipped your tail in the Las Vegas Bowl, I think people are a little bit like, cool, we have a bunch of these staff members. What are they doing? Why are we not getting these guys evaluated? Why are we behind in the transfer portal? And Florida internally may not feel that way. They're just going through the process. Hey, maybe one conversation with Josh Murphy out of the portal from Ohio State wasn't enough to know. Do we want to bring him on an OV? Let me get him on the phone, talk about it, then we'll bring it. It's just sometimes not understanding teams' processes, and that's why I just kind of go back to Chris Peterson because I feel like he was very – he was loyal to his process and trusted it from everybody I talked to, guys like you and Cooper. And I've always admired that and always just, man, it always been interested to see if he would – what he would have done in the SEC if he would have got – I mean, he had the opportunity. I mean, I know he easily could have got an SEC job if he really pushed for it at some point. But if he would have taken it, what he would have done in the SEC – because like you said – the recruiting philosophy is so different. It'd been interesting. Yeah, no, it would have been. Um, and you know, like I've always, you know, maybe like even like a UNC is interesting because, like, you know, there's like it's not SEC, but it's the Southeast and it's the academia, and it's kind of in the weeds a little bit. The expectations at UNC are not super high, football wise. Like that was a place that, like, you felt like, oh, it doesn't take much. I don't know. It, it, it would be interesting uh, to answer your question, though. I, I really, I don't think much would change. I think it would be tweaked. I think it would be slightly altered. But his process works, and it worked well, and it wasn't overcomplicated. It just put pressure. It was basically a deal like you're investing in your future, right? All these position coaches, you're investing in your own livelihood. Why make your life, your future life harder by taking on a guy who's a pain in the ass? Right. You make your life better in the future by doing your homework. By And and, then, and, then, and to his credit, he created an environment where people didn't want to leave. You know, that's yeah. that's, that's so <clears throat> there's college football staff. It and it isn't, you know, continuous or whatever, because a people are always trying to move up and get more money, new job, new title. But it's also usually so miserable to be anywhere for so long because people are so, you know, whatever that like. There, there is a kind of revolving door because you can only exist somewhere for two or three years at a time. So for Pete to have a staff that not only stayed together for a decade, but wanted to stay together for a decade, like that said something about what he was doing and the environment he was building because people didn't even want to leave. And we had a we had a, a, a DC t- take a step down voluntarily after putting up the best defense in the conference just to keep the staff intact for another couple of years. He's the DC now at Texas. Yeah. It's, it's unheard of. So I think that's the biggest thing is like when you have people voluntarily, you know, doing things to keep things intact, I think that says the biggest thing about what's being created there, you know, more so than, than almost any other indication. Good talk there on Coach Pete fitting into the SEC recruiting philosophy. Last guy, and honestly, I think this is our biggest freak on the list today, Murph. I mean, 
had two good ones, Dorian, Dorian Green Beckham and then Kyle Pitts. But the last one, our defensive guy, Miles Garrett. Everybody remembers him. Defensive end, 2014 class, listed out of high school, 6'4", 240, from uh, Arlington Martin High School right outside Dallas. Just a total – I mean, I, I worked at A&M the year after he left. He was training for the combine when I was around. Pro Day was there then. The stories you hear about this guy – just because the same DF, I mean, rest, rest his soul. Terry Price, who just passed away, he was the defensive ends coach who coached Miles Garrett uh, and Deshaun Hall and all those good DNs they had. It, just the freak show stories you hear from this dude, dude. D- dude, it, it, they said one of the greatest, I mean, we can get to it in a minute, one of the greatest hoop drills anyone's ever seen, just from a guy at six, I mean, he measured at the combine, 6'4", 272, just going around these hoops in the hoop drill like it was nothing. And then they said, put a basketball in his hand in just a total freak show in the basketball floor. Just they said Terry Price was telling me, and I heard this. I heard this somewhere else too. When he went to visit him, he went and saw him at a basketball game in high school, and everybody was a little worried that Miles was a little too nice, Murph. They just because you talk to him, very intelligent guy. He's obsessed with dinosaurs. Like mm-hmm. apparently, the night before hotel, he'd be reading dinosaur magazines like a kid, like just kind of getting his mind relaxed in the hotel room, but. Everybody kind of thought he was a little nice and didn't have like an edge to him. Well, Coach Price was like, man, I hear something coming out of their locker room, just like slamming, banging. And I think they just lost Arlington Martin. And the high school basketball coach comes out and was like, uh, Miles just broke the bathroom stall. And they went in there and both sides of the bathroom stall doors were just broken in half because he went down there and just beat them to death. So he was like, yeah, he has an edge to him. I can tell he cares about winning. He went in and yeah. beat the crap out of the bathroom stall after they lost. Because he's like, he's like, he was almost too into like, he's like, for a little while, he thought he was just, he was into dinosaurs. He was always a real well-spoken kid, real nice guy. He's like, this guy, is he almost too nice? He's like, no, he wasn't, he wasn't too nice, but God, just freak show, number one overall pick, 17 draft by the Cleveland Browns. Track and field guy looked up, shot put in discus. It's just, I mean, this guy, to, out of the three we watched, is saying a lot. Just total freak show, just being that big, 6'4, 272, and being able to move like that. Let's go to the film, Murphy. Any memories you got from your time? Because uh, you were in Georgia at the time when Miles was coming out. Um, So he went end to end as the number one guy, right? So he went number one um, and then went number one overall <clears throat> pick. So he, he was the guy for seven, you know, six years, seven years, you know, from high school, number one guy, number one overall pick. You know, he was producing in, in, in college, obviously, for A&M. Um, no, I mean, really, I don't really remember a ton about his recruitment. He, he was one of those dudes that was just like – I don't really – who else was even in the mix outside of A&M? Do you remember? I don't really remember either. I mean, I, it's just, 2014, I can't remember who would have been in. Maybe Oklahoma or somebody back then. I, I couldn't – I don't want to just make something up. Like you said, it sounds like it was A&M the whole way. But, yeah. no, he's just like, – he's an interesting kid, just in overall, just like – I think people out of recruitment, their only concern was if he had an edge to him. I, I think that was because they're kind of like, dude, I mean, he's into stuff. A high school kid and like a freak college star, high school star wouldn't be into dinosaurs. But they're just like, I mean, dude, this kid's explosion, just his get off. Right. I mean, just an overall just explosive athlete. His ability to just finish through ball carriers. I mean, I'm sorry. I know the quarterback getting sacks, but and this poor center is just. And he could bull rush him, and he's just swim moving him. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's just – Well, no, no I mean, ahead. it's just, you know, like we said, like he's one of those guys, you know, similar to Kim Dietschy the other day. When you put on the tape, 
and I got to say this D line's a little freaky because he's he's harder to he's harder to to spot on this D line than he should be given the fact that he's Miles Garrett and he, you would think for a high school defensive line, yes, yes, he's harder to find than you would think. Um, so I'm like, all right, well there he is. I'm like, wait, no, he's there. Um, but you know, having said that, uh, he is still in that kind of like Kimdichi where he just stands out, pops off the film. But unlike Kim Dietschy, isn't, you know, you can tell it's not quite as filled out as he was coming out. Kim Dietschy looked tap, you know, ready to roll, looked like he had been in a college weight room already, um, you know, looked filled out thick. Uh, Garrett still looks like he's got a little bit of, you know, the frame to grow into, still yeah. got some room to add some weight. Um, you know, clearly, you know, ends up, you know, gaining, getting a lot thicker by the time he he, he leaves a and I mean, No, Murph, you're right. I mean, I know his 247 profile and accurate, but they listed him at 240 at the combine. He was 272. So, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like he gained a solid 30, 40 pounds of, of, of weight from that point. Um, and then, Murph, going back to the other freakish testing, listen to these numbers. 46440 and a 41-inch burp. Ooh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yes, and then for context for people, you know, 46 is is kind of what we're looking for at a running back, right? For you know, ish uh at, at the high at the highest level, Georgia, you know, Alabama. We're looking for that four, six, four, five, you know, and below. So see a guy at, at six five, two forty two. Yeah, two seventy two. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Doing that. Um yeah, sorry. In high school we're looking for four six. Yeah. For him doing that at the at the combine is incredible. Um so no oh, Mark, think- to give some people give people some other context. If I remember correctly, let me look it up. I know out of high school, this is it. He probably, but 41 inch vert, that, that's like, that's yeah. in like Julio Jones territory. And that, he's a receiver. Like 41 yeah. inch vert is a freak show at 272 pounds. No, it is. And, and again, I think what you, you what, what you see from this tape, um, again, you see the, the, the initial quickness, the burst, uh, the ability to bend, the ability to get skinny. Uh, to 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 his ability to close his length his strength you know really just to be able to put it all on to be patient to be able to sit there and then make a football move even when he's not in a great position you know so yeah. uh, you, you you see you know all the skill set and you see why a guy like a Pitts like a Miles Garrett like a DGB why they're so highly sought off you know so, you know sought after or whatever because really it's just they're doing things at heights and weights and lengths that are that should be harder they should be clunkier they should be a little bit more segmented a little bit more difficult and they're they're really fluid they're really fast they're really twitchy and and i think every one of these guys is a good example of 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 what elite elite looks like when delivered in a uh you know specific pretty package because all these guys are ultra pretty ultra long and, and certainly look the part no you're right Mark. today's episode you could really talk size speed and athleticism and you could probably throw in the word explosiveness but looking it up Mark, thir- julio jones at the combine in 2010 or sorry 2011 38 and a half right so miles so, Garrett, yeah so he's He's out there doing stuff the Hall of Fame receivers are doing. <laughs> as a I mean, like, that's yeah. look. It's fun us doing this. Honestly, you go back and watch these guys and look at their numbers, and you're just like, "Good gracious!" Like you said, Miles, Miles Garrett, you couldn't have made up a better high school. You're like, "Good gracious!" Look at this kid's high school film. And it's like Murph. I think you made a great point. 
look at his frame. He's like, and he's still got room to grow. I mean, the kid ended up wow. adding 30 pounds and kept the athleticism. <laughs> yeah, he's, I'd say, the only two people that kind of fit that mold in our lifetimes that we've seen like that. Maybe not only two, but, you know, Joyce Peppers was in that kind of same yep. – same type basketball player, freak athlete, you know, freak, you know, strength, jumper, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's in that Joyce Peppers. Joyce, I think, went number two overall. So Hall of Fame type talent. So uh, you see it. It's fun to watch when they're young and you get to see them. Um, you know, you get to see kind of the clay and you certainly see, you know, when you're, you're, you watch them do what they're doing on Sundays, it's, it's cool to look back and see him on Friday nights, run around and, and do it, you know, get some, some other kids as well. Murph, last question before we get you out of here. So we're done. We've watched just three freaks. We've watched two defensive linemen in general since scout school started, I believe, right? Right. No, four, four. We've seen an elite defensive tackle interior guy, Derek Brown. Um, we've seen some elite edge guys, Robert Condenci. So Miles Garrett today. Your question right here I, writ, I wrote down. In your opinion, Josh Murphy, would you rather have a dominant edge rusher or a dominant interior defensive lineman? Mm. For your defense, or if you want to phrase it in another way, would you rather go – if you're the quarterback or an offensive coordinator, would you rather go against an edge guy or an interior defensive lineman? And elite, I'm saying elite. They're both elite. Right. Um, I think this is a place where you start splitting hairs. Like, I get the arguments for both, right? Like, I get – you know, what Aaron Donald has done to the interior defensive line. I know he's an out, out, you know, out, you know, outlander, yeah, outlier. outlier. Um, but, you know, your most immediate path to the quarterback is going to be a straight line, right? So if you have the ability as an interior defensive lineman to be disruptive, like that's at a place, if you can be consistently disruptive within that, you know, those three interior positions, that's going to mess up stuff every single play it's going to get into the head of your your linemen. It's going to affect the way they block. It's going to affect the way they make calls. It's going to be a headache. And so to me, it's like if you can find – if it's like I got the best of the best here, the best of the best here, I almost go interior because every single play, I know you have the ability to be disruptive, to affect the run potentially, to affect the handoff, to maybe mess with a guy who's pulling, et cetera. Uh, the edge guy, you can, I feel like it's easier to maybe scheme out of an edge guy at times. Um, and I'm not saying to scheme out entirely, but I think it's a lot easier to say, dude's on edge. Let's just go on the complete opposite as much as we can. Let's throw the ball quick. Let's get it out. Balls are thrown way quicker now, um, right? So you know, that's a way to combat guys off the edge, get it out quick. So you can bring it. You said for an edge guy, you can bring a tight end or running back to chip. Chip, you yeah. can help. You can help that offensive tackle out. So, and again, I, I, for an interior guy, like the like you said, Murph, the interior guy disrupts. Like, kind of, I mean, you can run away from an edge guy if you're trying to get from the in, in the run game. You're not really running away from the interior guy. I mean, you just can't. Now, right. I bet if you ask most quarterbacks, I, dude, I'd rather step up in the pocket to avoid the guy coming off the edge instead of the interior guy pushing my center or my guard right, in my lap. Right. Like right. you said, and the only thing you can really do from a scheme standpoint from an interior, an elite interior uh, defensive lineman, would be to maybe slide to protect. That's it, though. But that's leaving that A-gap wide open for somebody else. So he's having an impact on the game still no matter what. <laughs> right. You're right. I'm with you. I, it's an interesting question I always ask people because I'm with you. If I was an offensive coordinator, play caller, quarterback, 
I would much rather see an elite edge because I'm like you. I feel like I we can well, scheme around that. Well, here this question got. I mean, this this for what you do, um, and this is an interesting topic. You know, within your own deal, I mean, you basically saw that this year, right? Would you rather have Jalen Carter or Will Anderson? That's essentially what it came down to. Um, and it's like, would you rather, you know, deal with the guy on the edge or deal with the guy interior, you know? And I think you see how much Jalen Carter affected Georgia's defense and how when he got hurt. I mean, I was at the Missouri game. They almost lost that game. And I think that was the game where he kind of got that that leg, kind of got that shot. Yeah, and, he went know, out he early. Yeah, and then come out the rest of the game or didn't play the rest of the game and then miss the next couple of weeks. And Georgia's defense was kind of like, oh, geez. And then they went on to go to, you know, they went to Natty and nobody really, you know, whatever, nobody really remembers. But, you know, that Missouri game was tight. And and when he got out, how much the rest of the team, you could feel his his presence not there. And then for me, like, you know, I, I, I was at a UW team that was there with Vita Vea, how much he affected everybody. So I think if you get a guy – who's a dominant, dominant interior guy, especially if they're, they they fit within your scheme and what you're asking them to do, they can – you if you get an elite guy interior, you can free up so much other stuff uh, to get creative and, and have some fun on the back end. No, absolutely, brother. Fun talk right there. Well, Murph, yeah. I mean, we're going to – I'll be signing off with you. I've got everybody. Uh, appreciate you joining us in this episode. We covered a lot. We had Jake Crane from Crane & Company – Join the show. We did a little 2023 SEC football draft. Uh, fun time going through some of those coaches. If you hadn't heard of them, I'll, I'll post our draft picks from that standpoint. And then it's always Thursday at Scout School. I think this is probably one of my funner Scout Schools we had just because it was just kind of a size, speed, athleticism, explosiveness just between DGB, Doriel Green Beckham, um, Kyle Pitts, and then also Miles Garrett, just kind of a freak show. Murph, I appreciate you hopping on again like you do every Thursday. Uh, we'll be back next week, three more guys. We'll probably get them out for you on Sunday next week just so people can kind of have more of a preview than just the day of of uh, when we'll start uh, doing who we're going to be doing on Scout School. But uh, for everybody listening I, or watching, I appreciate you watching this uh, episode of Mock 10 Sports. I hope you have a great weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.